Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. Smack him a gob. It is I, Dr. Fuck, and with me is... Oh, yeah, the ghost of Naomi Judd. Whoa, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's her dad. (laughs) (laughs) Naomi Judd uh, passed away right before we started recording today. No shit. Wasn't she the young one? No, no, that was the mom. Oh, okay. She was 76. But here's the bitch of it, man. Uh, Her and her daughter, Winona, who she was... You know the Judds with, they were getting inducted tomorrow into the Country Hall of Fame. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, that sucks. And, and the Country Hall of Fame, unlike the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame, uh, you know that's got street cred. You know, because they only induct country fucks into that. Yeah, you know? they know it's up. Yeah, it, it means something. So I, I, I feel really bad for. Uh, what, what's uh, Ashley and uh, Winona lost their mother? But yeah, 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 yeah. To, to get inducted in the Country Hall of Fame uh, tomorrow, and then you, you, you die the day before—that sucks. The the judge were two two people though, right? Or was it all three? No, no. Ashley wasn't in it. It was just uh, it was a mother and daughter duo. Who was Ashley? Yeah. Ashley was the other daughter, right? Yeah, Ashley's the one who was an actress. Yeah, they yeah. shunned her. They fucked her over. She should have been part of the Judds. You see, yeah. the Judds sucked after they got rid of her. The, the, the fucking demos of the Judds. That's the shit right there. Yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, she got fucked once by her mom and her sister and, and, and then by Harvey Weinstein. Hey, you know that was the title of one of those demos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, shit, but yeah, uh, so, uh, sorry. Bushy probably listens to the Judds, so... Uh, <laughs> you know, he, probably, he probably plays the fucking Judds on his radio show. May, may, I quote, may I quote you, Ian, from the greatest moment of the Lee Gertzman Invades Nashville video? Okay. After Bushy threw up on Jack Daniels, Ian says, two things that Bushy can't handle, whiskey and metal. <laughs> <laughs> greatest line in that whole video. I stand by that. <laughs> Oh, shit. But, uh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks, man. Fuck. Poor so, uh, shot. Did she have yeah. big tits? Yeah, they all do. They yeah. all do. They should have well, called Ashley, jugs. Ashley had the smallest. That's probably why she wasn't in the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She refused, she refused to get implants. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we got a special guest with us today. And don't you dare call him Edwin. We got Eduardo Canastracci <laughs> with us here. Eddie! Hey, I'm gonna sing a song. It's gonna be Name That Tune. You guys ready? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you were ready or not. I was gonna do it anyway. Here we go. Eddie, now don't you run. You know you're a bootleg of son. And you saw just what they done to the others. All right, guess that song. 
is it is it that Eddie song that's sung by uh, what's her face? No. <laughs> uh, hold, hold on, let me do I do I get to guess? Yeah. Is is that Eddie's coming out tonight by Night Ranger? No, yeah, hey, good guess though. I Th- that's the song I meant. The one that I gotta it. tell you, there, right. there there is a connection to that song and the song I was singing because the song I was singing was a guy that was in Damn Yankees with Jack Blades. Name the band at least. Sticks. Yeah, Sticks. Oh, and okay. The only good song off Cornerstone. Well, no, that's not true. But Cornerstone <laughs> is a shitty album. But that's one of the good songs. It's a song about Ed, Ed Eddie uh, uh, Kennedy, who was, uh, you know, uh, the who was he? The dad or the granddad of John F. Kennedy? That he, he you know, he he uh, he had a lot to do with the bootlegging of the whiskey during the probation period. Yeah, yeah, because three <laughs> during probation. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what it was uh, most popular. You know, Eddie's a very popular rock and roll name. I'd say it's probably the second most popular after Johnny. Obviously, Johnny. There's always some Johnny in rock and roll songs, you know. Yeah. But but Eddie, love Eddie, love Eddie's in rock and roll. So that's yeah, why I'm embracing it. But but we we are we we aren't going to call you, you by your you, you know your Christian name because you know you have a very budding career and and you don't want to be associated with us <laughs> when people Google you and uh, that's why for this episode uh, you, know, you know don't call me Ian call me Enos because that rhymes with penis and I'm a dick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't want Ian to be associated with the show. I don't want to be associated with this show either. That's why I go under the name Doctor Fuck. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to lose my shit job. <laughs> e- Enos goes to camp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Franchise. I see. There it. you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want my ass kicked for liking uh, Chemical Romance. That's why. I go, you know, if I go out and they get my name. I'm gonna get my ass kicked, and then, <laughs> and then raped, and pro- I'll probably like it. <laughs> it. It's not. Listen, most Hollywood types aren't listening to this stuff anyway. That's not what I'm concerned about. It's just like if you're, if like let's just say it's like a resume. You're out there, people are googling my shit, and then there's like 20 podcasts where I'm like talking about Iron Maiden, you know, or, you know, like albums and stuff like that. People are like, oh, I thought this guy was a screenwriter. What's going on? Like, I don't know. It's just, I'm just trying to separate the brands. That's all. Well, well, well especially with what we talk about here, this will get you thrown off of any project. Well, okay, I'll, today's I'll, I'll be canceled from Hollywood forever if they actually exactly. listen to this stuff. <laughs> exactly. And, and those people eat babies and you will get canceled. Well, yeah. They do. Yeah. They do. They, they applaud child rapers at the Oscars. But yes, but but they got the right hashtag, so that's what's important. So you can eat yeah. a baby in front of people, but as long as you say the right thing, it's all they right. They are human dingoes. <laughs> yeah. So so if you don't agree with Eduardo on any, uh, you know, make make sure to leave it in your comments. You know, don't put uh, you know, you know what, you know, put Eduardo. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Anyway, it's great to be with you guys. I've not been on the show since, although, you know, we're always talking, uh, since the great reunion episode. So it's been a while. Uh, But of course, I listen to every fucking episode because I'm a diehard, you know, fan of the, the, you know, I'm the chemical romance. Of course, that that was a great episode. People should listen to it. Listen, even if the band sucks and you don't want to listen to it, don't you know that Ralph and Ian are going to be 
saying funny shit to her. Man. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Plus, I liked it. I mean, how hilarious is that? You got that made it stuff. even funnier. That was like the yeah. punchline that Ralph really liked it. Although I noticed you, you kind of liked. You said you liked it and you bought it, but it sounded like half the songs you didn't actually like. It's just I like, like the second half more, and I like yeah. that little intro. Oh, let's, let's review that one again. <laughs> let's just do my chemical romance again. Forget the Beatles. This is what people want to hear. And the balls on people to not listen to an episode because, uh, you know, the album sucks. You know, a lot of people listen to the Elder episode. Hey. I mean, well, come on. I hey. said the Poison episode, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, well that, that's, those shows are chemically enhanced. <laughs> That's yeah, the yeah, yeah, we were on acid both yep. times. A true story, actually. We're not joking. But you yeah. know what? I, I want to bring up an interesting fact. Now that we're talking about this subject, uh, later on, we're going to review the Beatles. And I have a theory. I think, you know, I, I'm the type of person that I don't give a fuck if you don't like the Beatles. But I, I don't trust where the shit. You know, I would never leave my wallet around with somebody that doesn't like the Beatles. Now, the point I'm bringing this up is because Ian told me the other day that he forgot to take the donations down and we just got another donation, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm telling you people right now that are listening, that are obviously Beatles fans, do not send no more donations because... You know, we're not taking it out. We might do it in the future, but don't send none now because we want to be done with this. Now, yes. the, the people that are, aren't listening, they don't like the Beatles. I don't trust them, so let them donate. We ain't sending shit back. That's right, <laughs> here, right? Fuck yeah. Yeah, we trust the people who are listening to this shit. Plus, you think, you know, the people that hate the Beatles, you know they steal from people. It's karma time, bitch. <laughs> it's the karma. Karma. Ian's yeah. gonna get some blowing rolling rock and I'm gonna get some big black cock. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, did I? Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. But you said you said that that's a positive thing. Like you want big black cock, so that's all right. You're, yeah, man, it's yeah, cool, you're, yeah, you're for it. You yeah. know, you know what I did today. I, I, you know, I can't help but troll sometimes. Um, every fucking day, the Sync Army on Facebook. With all these continually, Paul is gay, Paul is gay, you know, little beans, everything, Paul is gay, Paul is gay. Well, today somebody put up a picture of Paul holding these chicks, going, see, Paul's not gay, look at him with all these chicks. And then, you know, then he goes, just kidding, look, he's gay, he's just looking at camera, he doesn't care about the chicks. So in the middle of all these things, of all these people writing, he's such a fag, he's gay, and you know they all love Ace. So I put up a picture of Ace making out with an old man, and I wrote, this ain't Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, well, and he went down Peter Chris. Yeah, and I, yeah. Got a picture, I got a picture of that, too. Yeah. I got a picture of Ace Frehley going down on Peter Chris, but it's the back of the head. You don't see Peter's beard, which is unfortunate for me being in my chemical romance fan. Yeah, and if, if you're in prison, that does not make you gay to be receiving. So Peter Chris is not gay for the record. No, no, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. It, in fact, it kind of makes him... Studlier in a way, because he's making he's making Ace Freely his bitch, and Ace Freely, you know, is and I love Ace, you know, like you, Ralph. He's my Ace. Favorite. Ace rules, you know. My favorite part of Paul's book is when uh, there was another time where Peter took his dick out, and and Paul said, and Ace went down and kissed it, and then started laughing. When I hear shit like that, I'm like, Ace rules. He's yeah. such a fucking I don't give a fuck guy. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, he's more rock and roll, and he's more in touch with his fluid uh, sexual he's nature, unlike drugs, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but as a person, he's a cocksucker. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I saw uh, uh, Chris Sinzak put up a post the other day for Ace's birthday, and it was, I believe it was a picture of uh, Tommy Thayer. And I, I, I said, I can't tell with all this fucking makeup on. I go, is this the guy that sucks Peter Chris's dick or the guy that sucks Gene Simmons' dick? Yeah. I <laughs> well, you know, if, if, if Gene let him, yeah. he's done that too. And, and then think about it. Think about it. Look how fucked up Benny Vincent is. Uh, look at all the kiddie porn shit with Mark St. John. I, I'm just waiting. Something's going to come out about Bruce Kulik. Because if he played guitar and kiss, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's got to be something. Yeah, there's kind of, there's kind of a weird streak kind of going on there with Kiss. You know, think yeah. of Benny Vincent. Except, and, the only yeah. exception, the only exception is Eric Carr. He had no flaws. That's why he had to go. Is, is that why, why they they gave him that's heart why they, cancer? Yeah, yeah. Paul and they gave him him. cancer. Yeah. <laughs> they they gave him cancer by by putting his name on Hot in the Shade. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, if you're in Kiss, something bad's going to happen to you. I heard just the other night they put a live mic up to Paul Stanley. You know? Oh, hey, that's yeah. dumb. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's low, man. You don't do that. You, not, yeah. not so much for Paul, but for the poor audience. All right. Well, uh, well, that's enough Kiss to get us a couple extra listens. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to put that in, in the description. Yeah. Uh, let, let's get to some reviews. And our first review is from the Podbean page, and this comes from your partner. Uh, and uh, what, what's your podcast, uh, Eduardo? It is the Rock All Over You podcast. Rock All Over You podcast. This is your co-host, Eric Jordan, RMCP. And I, I still, I, I think I've said it before on the show, but I laugh my ass off. When we first did donations for the very first Rockin' Pod, we said when you leave your donation, make sure you put RMCP next to your name so they know it's it was for us. And he, he changed his Facebook name. <laughs> and, and he kept it. That's what I love about Eric. Like even oh, yeah. on our show, he advertises himself as that. So even though it's technically not, you know, it's yeah. a different show, but yet we're always promoting the RMCP, even just uh, his name. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I I love it and I love Eric. And I'm looking forward to. I was supposed to be a guest on your show, and 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 then you know Eric got second thoughts and he had his wife fake COVID, yeah. uh, so we didn't have to record. But that's okay. I'll, I'll get you one way or another. Yeah, yeah. We definitely want you to come back on. We're gonna do that overkill episode. It's gonna be which I'm really excited to do. Of course, Ralph's been on a lot of times. We've had Ralph on like uh, three or four times already, and so it's it's great. You guys have both been so supportive of just you know that and my videos. So I just want to say that. Thank you so much. And, but you know, this is the thing. It's all, it stems from, it's the family. It's the RMCP family, but you guys are the GOAT. This is the top of the food chain. Greatest podcast in the universe. Hell yeah, uh, Create You guys like created a universe. You know what I mean? Like how many podcasts have a universe? Like there's the, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, and like Star Wars and shit. And you guys have a fucking universe. You know, how's that feel to yeah, create a universe? Well, <laughs> well, well, here, here's here's the thing. You know, you're gonna do this. Be original, okay? Because we've uh, a lot of other podcasts have spawned from our fan base, and they all suck. You know, you got to be that one that's good. 
You know, I look at you talk about shows that, that have created other podcasts, and, and I think of the great Decibel Geek podcast, who they spawn Cobras and Fires, which is an amazing podcast. Oh, yeah. But see, they, they they lucked out because they only spawned one. I, yeah. I, I think I, I think they put a cap on it. They said, okay, these guys are good. It don't shame us, you know. So no 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 more listeners. Start a fucking podcast. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think I think there's been what about seven. Maybe podcast. It's kind of narrowing down now. I one one thing Eric and me do we try to what we're trying to do, and we're still in our early stages. But yeah, I agree that you know we have to kind of do our own thing. But at the same time, it's like a band. You know, in the early days, they have their influences, like that first album, or when they're in the clubs, they're playing. It's like Metallica's playing Diamond Head covers. You know what I mean? But eventually, they they kind of develop into their own sound. Like that's naturally if you hang in there for like a year or two. You're naturally going to develop into your own thing. Well, I mean, if you hang well, in there long enough. Well, Ian, Ian wasn't talking about your podcast. He was talking about the six or seven that Taryn started and, and filmed. <laughs> the soft yeah, puppets. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, that's just the seven that Taryn spawned off. <laughs> but, but, but he, he's not going to talk about us anymore. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, died a crib death. Yeah, oh, oh my God. Hey, this is a Chris podcast. Fuck you! There's no fucking podcast called Crips. <laughs> oh, God. So, so um, what did Eric say? Fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Eric Jordan RMCP says, and I quote, Oh, Dr. Wadzilla are here. Hide your moms. Greatest podcast ever. Thank you guys for always making me laugh, helping me discover new kick-ass bands, and being great friends. You guys always keep it real and never hold back, unlike most podcasts that want to kiss butt for sponsors. Anyone that enjoys this podcast needs to join the Facebook group and join in on the fun. And also, if you haven't spread your cheeks... What? If you haven't spread your cheeks on that subscription button... <laughs> RMCP for life. That that's awesome, but but you know uh, I want to interrupt this whole episode because um, <clears throat> I, I didn't cut you in on the deal, Ian. Sorry, I took all the money for myself because after all, I got top billing. Uh, this show is sponsored by Baskin and Robbins, all <laughs> a bunch of colorful and different tasting ice creams. Get yours wherever the fuck you live. Thank you. All right, heard that Baskin and Robbins? Don't tell Ian. <laughs> Where's my check? All right. Well, we also have an iTunes review. And, uh... Oh, wait, wait, Ian, before you get into the next one. This show is also sponsored by Home Depot. All right, keep going. (laughs) Home Depot, because Mexicans got to live somewhere. Yeah, well, hey, hey. (laughs) Hey, you heard them. That's why I get the check. That's fucking racist liberal. God damn it, I fuck up everything. All right. Uh, now, this is another one of those. Uh, this name seems familiar, but this is somebody trying to be funny. But hey, at least it's a five star review. This is from Za Wheels. That that name sounds familiar. I think I know it from Facebook. Do you know that name, Ralph? No, no, actually, it doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay, well, Za Wheels left us a five star review entitled. Number one Sammy Hagar podcast on the interwebs. And he says, and I quote, 
if you want or need up to the minute Red Rocker news, this is the podcast for you. These two you know, guys, go on, go on. I'm sorry. These guys bring you all things Cabo. Sometimes their love for Sammy seems a tad over the top. But have you heard any of those fish or kiss podcasts? Highly recommended for your Hagar and Circle needs. Oh man. You know, Ian, we've had those stupid-ass reviews that are just not funny when people go, oh, they love Sam here. This guy knows how to do it. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Latest well, combo news. <laughs> the, 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 the one thing that would be awesome, though, is is if somebody does, yeah. you know, just by chance read that, and, and then they, you know, they click on one of our episodes, <laughs> and, 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 and I can use their tears as lube when I masturbate. Uh, you know that was, it's not a bad idea you guys should at least do one episode as like a goof as like that that podcast like as yeah. the same behavior and trick everyone it's like catfish like on an April Fool's Day yeah, this, like, on my YouTube on April Fool's I reviewed uh, Def Leppard and Seria yeah. and with every song I said this song changed the world yeah it's the greatest yeah. album ever we'll talk about how the second Montrose album launched a thousand bands yeah <laughs> Yeah, I say we make it about thirty-six episodes before we start slamming it, uh, Sammy. Yeah, you tr- yeah, really play into it, like trick everyone, like build up a fan base, and then reveal, and, like drop the mask, <laughs> and re-air Sammy Hagar's full of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God! All right, well now it's time to get in the news. Uh, oh, this is funny. I haven't even got to read this. This is brand new, fresh off the press. Ted Nugent says. I love Metallica, and I love Slayer, and I, I love Megadeth. Uh, what the well, fuck that, is this about? That's pretty. That's pretty shocking. Well, you know, it's also a lie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, unless unless he he likes load, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I can I I cannot see him enjoying uh, Show No Mercy. Yeah, yeah. He's more of the Outlaws and Musica fan. Yeah, I, I I will say I did uh, steal his latest album, so uh, I'll, I'll check it out and see if the rest are as, as bad as everything else I heard. I heard and, I heard a new one. It was really bad. Detroit something I forget. Oh, Detroit Muscle is the name of the album. I don't um, know. If I think it had Detroit or or Motor City something. It was well, it, it was shitty. It was no Motor City Man Man. Let me tell you. Who knows? I might love it because you like fucking uh, the Great American Campfire. So. Yeah, that song was catchy. I don't know. I, but honestly, in my defense, I never went back and listened to it. I just heard it that day. You told me to listen. I was like, that's catchy, but not enough for me to go back. But yeah. I did I did see he put up a new song again. Well, a video, and I watched it, and I was like, ugh. When the drugs wear off, I want you to revisit Great American Campfire. Yeah, that's true. I must have uh, Heavy shit that day. Oh, God. Joe Elliott says Death Leopard and Motley Crue will rotate the headline spot on the stadium tour. Uh, I wonder if they're going to rotate cassettes, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Both of them use fucking baggy dress. Oh, my God. And uh, I, I heard they they released another song, another new Death Leopard song, but I, I didn't hear it. After that last one, I was like, oh. Yeah, the, the, it's... A lot of people like it more, 
Oh, it's rock. I heard it. I was like, this sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. And yeah, it has a little more guitar and this and that. But dude, it ain't no Lady Strange coming uh answer to the master coming under fire. It's none of that shit, dude. It's a different band, but you gotta give them slack because you know they don't have ten arms anymore. You're gonna have to have a dip after you lose a fucking arm, right? Well, you know, I don't even anymore. I don't even know if it's the ten arms they need as much as they need a Peter, a yep. Pete Willis. Pete Willis, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no Pete Willis, no go. I mean, I mean, even look at. I mean, I, I, I still stand by Pyromania, and I love it, but he wrote that shit, you know? I think, what, Phil Collins on two tracks on that anyway? Yeah, people, yeah. And, and Photograph was one of the songs he co-wrote. Yeah. I, I'm not sure of him doing solos, but I'm positive he did rhythm guitars on basically every song on that album. Yeah, and, and I think he had a hand in the, in the songwriting. No, he did. Yeah. He did. It's all over that fucking album. Yeah, and there, were, there was a big drop-off after him. But then there was even a little bit of a drop-off about Steve Clark, because at least, like, Hysteria would have a song like Women or, like, White Lightning on Dranalyze because Steve Cl Clark. But then that's it. After anything, if you have no Pete Wills or Steve Clark, it's just a guy singing to a drum machine with some generic guitar riffs to it's, make it, white girls dance. Yeah, Def Leppard is one of those bands that we're, we're going on like fucking three and a half decades of them not impressing me on anything that when it comes to the point of them releasing a song, you know, it's very rare for me to go into it going, I know this is going to suck. Yeah. You know, Def Leppard is like, I know this is going to suck. But yeah. I get a chance and I'm like, yeah, it sucks. You know, I thought, you know, when I found out like years ago, even like, Oh my God! The new album is called "Songs from the Sparkle Lounge." This is gonna be kick ass. <laughs> you know? uh, I was wrong. I, I gotta say, what's worse though? Here's a question, and I know they both suck. But later, Def Leppard or later, Motley Crue? Oh, later, Def Leppard, hands down for me. You think that sucks more? Oh yeah. Okay. At least some of those shitty Motley Crue songs are laughable. I can't sit through. I mean, I'll sit through a Motley Crue album. I will. N I sat through Saints of Los Angeles, and that's Def Leppard fucking. Art. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's but by I, far, my, in my opinion, the worst Motley Crue album. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I, I guess I guess it, it's even worse because I still bought Motley Crue. <laughs> you know, like hoping I, I haven't bought a Def Leppard album since Hysteria. Yep, me too. And I, and that's when I man, I heard that album and I got pissed. I heard, uh, what's that, uh, do you want to get rocked off Adrenaline? I was like, nope, no, no, no. How about man. make love like a man? I'm a man. <laughs> what I can. Shit, I, I like that song better than Let's Get Rocked. Let's Get oh. Rocked's horrible. But, you well, know, I'm not a huge fan of Pour Some Sugar On Me. I, I really don't like that song well, a lot. Well, who who is? who is? There's one good song on Hysteria, and that's Women. Yeah, but, I, but, but chicks love it. You know, the other day I went to go see The Who, which I should talk about. And me and Ian saw the same fucking concert, but diff different locations. But when I walked out of The Who, there was a cover band playing that song, Pour Some Sugar On Me. And these hot MILFs, man, went nuts. Oh, they love it. They yeah, love that shit. Love when, yeah. when, when Def Leppard, I, the last time I saw Def Leppard, which was, dude, the last time I saw Def Leppard was hysteria, but I saw him like, I don't know, several years years ago because Styx was there and I went and uh, when they played Pour Some Sugar on me I don't care what the chicks look like every chick in that place turned into a stripper doing all these stripper moves I mean it was very vile looking at some of them but 
it's, it's a chick song, dude. It's, yeah, know, yeah. And who likes that song? Chicks. Yeah, white drunk women, you know, between forty and fifty, especially like that. That's yeah. like that's like like four the four horsemen for like drunk cool dudes at a bar. Yeah, they uh, just get crazy with that shit. It's the of crazy bitch by Buck Cherry. <laughs> yeah, wearing pants they haven't fit into since they had a fucking picture of Kip Winger on their trapper keeper. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, we did see uh, the same show. We got to see. Uh, Death Angel, Exodus, and Testament. Nice. I got, yeah, I got to see it last, uh, actually a week ago today. I saw it here in New Orleans, and whoo, I got too messed up. I got too messed up, man. I was, I was in a good mood, and I hadn't been lit up in like months, and I, and I just, I let it all, all go. And I wish I wouldn't have got that messed up, but I got, I did go. I had a great time. Got to hang out with the great Will Carroll. Uh, had a lot of fun. Death Angel was amazing. Unfortunately, I got stuck in traffic because of uh, uh, there was a thing called French Quarter Fest going on, and they were playing in the heart of the French Quarter. So I missed the first couple songs, but God damn, did Death Angel sound good. I thought Exodus was solid. Uh, but I was really, I was really blown away. Death Angel and Testament. I was like, holy shit. Uh, I thought Dave Lombardo sounded amazing. Uh, I was I was really blown away. It's like my shit. I, I don't know how many times I've seen Testament now. Five or six. And I've got I've seen him with Louis Clemente. I've seen him with uh, Bostoff. I've seen him with Gene Hoagland. And now I've seen him with Lombardo. Oh my god! Uh, I was really into it. Uh, ooh, I got a, I got a little messed up. <laughs> Will was telling me, Will was telling me about this uh, so-called metal bar that they were going to hang out at after the show. But I don't like the owner of that bar. And last time I went there by metal, uh, they were playing Disturbed when I walked in there. So I'm like, eh, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> I want to go to a metal bar. I'll go to Pepper Keenan's bar that's like fucking two blocks away from me. Um, but it, no, it was a great time and and, and uh, really glad to, to hang out with Will and stuff. He was so great on our Bluish Cult, Cult of Source Erectus episode. I know we'll have him back on the show. Uh, but it was awesome. I got a autographed Bastard Tracks on vinyl. I got a, the CD with a Blu-ray for my son. I uh, got me a kick-ass Testament shirt. And, uh, and and a way too expensive bar tab, but <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good time, and uh, I bought all this shit. And I was like, oh fuck, because I, I hate carrying shit around at a show, you know? Yeah. It's it's like you want to get the shit before it sells out, but then like you know what are you doing? You know, with an armful of fucking shit, and I bought the stuff before Will even made it out there, and uh, I asked the lady like real nice like, hey. Can I, can I keep this back back there? And she's like, no. And I thought about, you know, for a minute, you know who the fuck I am? You know? I have a podcast. <laughs> you should have said, you know who I am? I do a podcast with Rob Vieira. Yeah, I know, but I didn't want to name drop, and I didn't want to say, you know, Will Carroll's going to meet me out here. I, I, I didn't do that. I was just like, okay, all right, thank you. I found a nice bartender, though nice bartender who stashed the stuff uh, for me behind the bar. 
Which is super cool. Yeah, and I really appreciated that. Because, man, I dropped that shit about fucking five times after I left the club. I can only <laughs> imagine just during the show. And I was like, oh, I didn't even want to look the next day. I didn't want to look at that vinyl. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And uh, it, it's it's fine. It's awesome. It's uh, and it's it's amazing colored vinyl and to have it autographed and shit and and to support Death Angel, you know I spent more money on them than anybody else and uh, well deservedly because they kicked ass and uh, again I can't thank Will enough. We got to hang out a lot during the night. We watched the we watched Exodus and Testament together. And uh, man, if that tour comes to you, check it out. Uh, I believe Eric's going to that, right? Yeah, he's going. And I definitely want to go. I'm in, like, transit right now. I'm, like, in L.A., but um, next week I'm flying back to Tampa for the summer. So uh, I haven't really been looking. I, I can't, like, I couldn't commit to a, a tour, right, like a show yet, because I didn't know exactly where I was going to be. Right. But, but in a week or two from now, I'm going to look. I don't know if they're – is it – did that show – did they already come to Florida, didn't it? Well, Ralph? well, uh, here, here's where you lucked out. Ralph got to see him in Orlando, but the tour's doing so well uh, – I believe they're going to Europe over the summer, and then in the fall, uh, they've announced new tour dates. You can go on Blabbermouth, or you can go on the uh, websites for any of the bands and get the fall tour dates. And there is one, I believe, that is a lot closer to you, Ralph, right? Yeah, they're playing uh, Fort Lauderdale in September, and uh, Will wrote me saying, Hey, man, you know, this is before it was announced. It was announced later that day. He said, Dude, we're playing Fort Lauderdale. And I was like, No shit. And you know, I've spoke to Will a lot, and one of the things I told him was about the rock and roll ribs thing. And I said, hey, Will, if you're not busy that day, I'll take your rock and roll ribs. And he's like, no, 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 for sure. I'm dying to go there. So when they come in September, I'll go over there and pick them up and take them to rock and roll ribs. But, yeah, I saw the same show on Monday. The following Monday, I drove three and a half hours to Orlando, three and a half hours back. But, yeah, it was awesome, because I met everybody in Death Angel but Will Carroll. And, <laughs> it, you know, one time I interviewed uh, Mark on the bus, and I said hi while walking back to the bus. But that's not really, you know, anything. But, yeah, it was cool, dude. I mean, uh, when I got there, I texted him, and he said, hey, dude, meet me at the merch table after we play. I'm, I'm about to do a radio show. So, yeah, after, and to me, man, that thing just stole the show. They were so fucking hungry. And their set list was just basically pummeling a pummeling set. You know, they really, because they, you know, they didn't, what that, 40 minutes? So they really brought, you know, their fucking A game. And, and my God, Will is a beast on the drums, man. And they were all, man. That's just an amazing fucking band that is extremely underrated. When you talk about people with Deaf Angel that just, there, you know, the people from the 80s. Oh, yeah, I'm bored. You know, shit like that. They have no idea how amazing. Other than Ultraviolence, I would put the last three um, uh, Death Angel albums over Frolic and Act 3. I really would. Especially this Dream Calls for Blood. Man, what a fucking great album that is. Well, I even told Will, I said, man, it's so weird that this is my first time. Uh, you know, actually getting to see Death Angel, I go, and you're not even doing board. <laughs> you know, which I'm, I'm kind of like, I was like, ah, oh, that sucks because I love that fucking sh- song. Oh, but, I, I, but I, what's that? I hate that song. Oh, really? See, I love it. But 
I love that they have enough faith in what they're doing now. And that's what I told them. I, I go, you know, of course, you know, you, you know, you, you played like two and a half songs from uh, Ultraviolence, you know, and you played one from Act 3, you know, but the rest was all newer shit. And, and I go, that's a testament, no pun intended, to how good the new shit is and, and how good it stands up and how good it sounds live. And, uh, he, he appreciated that. But I mean, I mean, I really, man, and I was so glad I did get there to see what's what's the opening track on Act 3? Oh, oh, I love that. The time. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, I was glad I got to hear that. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah. But, uh, man, the, the new shit is just incredible. And they remind me of, of you know, almost like an overkill uh, that, that, you know, this late in their career is still putting out, you know, quality fucking shit. And I, and I believe the same with Testament. I know I, I like, well, you're a big Testament fan, Eduardo. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, I, I know, Ralph, you don't like the new shit like, as much as you like the old shit. The same with Exodus. But uh, I, I'm loving this this new thrash from these other bands. And, uh, you, you know, what I, what, I, what I think really helps these older thrash bands that, you know, aren't considered like, like the big four and shit like that, I think they never had that success that fucking ruined them. That, that either, you know... They had so much money, they weren't hungry, or their egos got so big, they're like, oh, we need to expand, you know? When Metallica's like, don't call us metal. You know, we're much more than that. No, fuck you, you know? You know, these bands, they, they couldn't afford that kind of bullshit, you know? They, they, they just stuck true to what, the reason they got together, the reason they became a band, and they're still hungry, they're still trying to prove themselves, and I think they're doing it in fucking spades. So if you can, check out that tour and support that tour, too, man, because a lot of shows are struggling. I don't know about Ralph in Florida, but, man, here I, I get emails all the time, especially from Live Nation, you know. I think I talked about this in the last show. You know, buy, buy this ticket, get another one free, you know, get, you know, Live Nation was doing that thing for the lawn seats and stuff. Uh, it's a hard time because people are paying 25 bucks a gallon for gas, you know. Yeah people aren't doing good and and to get money to go to a show which god damn they're so expensive now you know fucking t-shirts 40 fucking bucks a beer's goddamn ten dollars you know it's not cheap to go to a show but if you're gonna go to one and you're gonna give your money man go see this fucking tour and it sounds like you I, get your money's worth I, you know three great bands oh oh yeah yeah no no i i totally i mean yeah yeah i spent too much money because i got drunk but i mean for for what i paid for the ticket Oh, uh, 10 times got my fucking money's worth, you know, just, you know, get drunk before the show, but don't, don't get as drunk as I got before the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen Testament before. I've never seen Exodus or Deaf Angel live. So, and I'd love to, and I, in, in recent years, I've gotten re very into both those bands, um, uh, Deaf Angel because of, you know, Ralph, uh, you know, and, uh, I did a show, a very air vault with Will, who's awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's when I started really doing the deep dive, you know, and Mr. X hooked me up with the Death Angel and Exodus. I only had like bonded by, you know, um, I, uh, blood and some of the early Exodus. I didn't have any of the later stuff. So I think it's all consistent. You know, I like, I know, uh, a Testament I think is consistent. I think all these bands, and like you said, Ian, they're hungry. That's the thing. It's like in jazz circles, yeah. jazz musicians, they say, keep your chops up, you know? 
And that's the thing. I think a lot of these bigger bands, like especially, you know, in the big four, like they have years between albums and years between tours sometimes. So they, it's not just that musically they changed. I mean, that's part of it. But I think it's just like their musicianship and they, they lose some of their sharpness, you know, their edge. Whereas if like like a band like Overkill, they have to play and put out albums to maintain a lifestyle, to, to, to just eat <laughs> You know? Well, what 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 I respect though is they could very easily go the other route though, and go like the you know uh, Twisted Sister and the Kiss route, where like we'll we'll, we'll go, we're going out, but we're just gonna play the old shit. We're gonna we're not, not gonna write nothing new because nobody likes the new shit anyway. People don't like the new shit when the new shit sucks. Yeah, if, well that yeah, if, and that's true. If, but, but I think the uh, thing too with Overkill is like they never really were as big. So in a way, I don't think they could. I mean. I mean, hello from the gutter. I don't know. That's not gonna bring too many people to to like a state fair if you're playing it, you know? Right. They they they, they never got to the point where they're like, oh, people will buy whatever we put out. Let's do the orchestra album now. Yeah. You know? It's not like they're Quiet Riot or like one of these bands in the '80s that had some big hit, you know? So yeah. as a result, they can't just be living off of that one or two big hits from right. the '80s. Right. Yeah. All right, well, I got to see another show that, Ralph, at, at the time of recording this, you're going to see when, on Tuesday? I'm going to see so? on Tuesday, but before you talk about this show, I got to do another plug. <clears throat> uh, Ian's Concert Review is brought to you by Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes, the Lips Colonel. Lips good. Respect the Colonel. Thank you. Go ahead, Ian. Yeah, it's not that KFC shit. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky <laughs> deal, fried deal with it. Yeah, they <laughs> told me they'd pay me a little extra if I said Kentucky Fried Chicken. And plus, I told them we weren't a rap show, so we we don't say, you know, KFC. Yeah, well, KFC is, you know, that's just something to hide the fact that the chicken's being brought to you by people who hate the people who eat a lot of chicken. You know, <laughs> they, they try to mask everything. Yeah. God damn it. I see you what you did there. You may be horrible people, but you make good chicken. Damn it. Well, at least you used to. That's All it, right. by the way. And remember, yep. it comes yep. to me. Yep. So, uh, so anyway, uh, I saw that show. What, what I, I, yeah, I saw the Testament show on Saturday. And, and then on Wednesday, I went and saw Primus. And the worst opening band I've ever seen in my life, a band called Battles which I, I called Ralph ahead of time and said, whatever you do, whatever you do, do not go in there during the opening band. Because Ralph already has reservations. He's not a huge, you know, Primus fan by any means, but he loves Rush. I'm a huge, I, I'm a huge Fairwater Kings fan. That's like my second favorite. Right. But, uh, wait, 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 wait. I got another, I got another sponsor here. Okay. Uh, this is, this is, this is from Science. Hold your fire and power windows suck. All right, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, oh, you're right about that. You're right about that. I, I can't believe that the people who like, even the people who are like, oh, yeah, hold your fire sucks, but they give power windows a pass. That shit, it sucks. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, don't go see battles. Don't don't even look this shit up on YouTube, you know? It, it, it'll just hurt you. It's <laughs> fucking horrible. But anyway, uh, Primus was amazing as always. Probably like my ninth time seeing Primus. Um, and just stellar musicianship. And they came out, played like a little over an hour of Primus shit. 
took a quick break, and then came back, did Farewell to Kings in its entirety, and just, and especially for Rush fans, will appreciate the, the attention to, to detail. I mean, even you even got Les Claypool playing bass and doing keyboards. I've never seen him play anything other than bass. But they did everything they had to do to make it sound like the album. I mean, and fucking, uh, you know, Lair came out with the fucking double neck guitar. And, and you know, Herb is just fucking, of course, Herb's going to handle the fucking drums. But it was absolutely amazing. And they played a lot bigger venue than I've normally seen them at here in New Orleans. And I was kind of worried about, like, well, first of all, the show's been postponed like three fucking times. I bought my tickets like three years ago. And because of COVID, just kept getting postponed and postponed. Uh, and it, it was a pretty big place. I'm like, how's this going to do? It was fucking packed. But I got to say, it was half and half. You know, it was half Primus and half Rush fans. I sat next to a couple that, you know, they're like Primus whatever. They're like, yeah, we saw Primus open up for Rush and on the uh, counterparts tour. <laughs> you know, but we just love Rush so much and we can't see him anymore. We, we couldn't pass on this. And they drove, you know, from Bat Rouge and, uh, and and they were in heaven, you know. It, it did. It's just to hear those songs, you know, and to hear, you know, not only to hear like Xanadu and Cygnus part one, but, you know, to hear Cinderella Man. And, and the mangrel or whatever the fuck mandrill whatever the fuck it is barber mandrill I don't know uh, you know and that fucking song uh, and I didn't mind closer to the heart you know and I do not like that song oh, I, love I that. know you know you know what I hope Ian this starts a trend that other bands do the same thing like we'll cover a whole rush album I got my fingers crossed rush uh, caressive steel will be done by poison. Oh, <laughs> you, you beat me to it, you know? Oh, my God. Uh, I can't uh, wait to see Brett Michaels belt out Necromancer. But uh, I, I would like, like, I would, you know, it's got to be a band who can handle it. You know, like Dream Theater. You know, even though I'm kind of weird on James's voice, uh, I know musically <laughs> they can handle it, you know? So well, I would done, definitely go see They've actually done a whole show of 2112. Uh, the right. uh, the box set of um, Fairwater Kings, they do Xanadu. Uh, and I know they've done the full Moving Pictures show live, too. There's like a million bootlegs, but, you know, soundboard. Like, yeah. theater, I believe, did fucking physical graffiti once, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, they, they did, uh, number. I've got them all. Number uh, of the Beast, did, yes. Yeah, Number of the Beast, they did Master of Puppets. Yeah. Uh, but I, I tell you what, I'd really like to see even more than that is I'd like to see like four 12 year olds who, who, who you just handed an instrument who've never done anything other than Guitar Hero uh, play Poison, open up and say, ah, you know, because I think it's in their wheelhouse. Yeah. They, they can do it. I, I would love to see people who have no musical capability cover Poison. Now, that would be hot. You already saw it. Yeah, you already saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I saw poison. Oh shit. Oh fuck. But uh, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy yourself, bro. I, I really do. I, I I think you will. No, Just no. Like... It, it, the way you describe it, if they pay attention to details and shit, of course I'm gonna love it. I love that fucking album. Dude. Oh yeah, and, you, and and you're 
because you're such a fan of that album, I think you're gonna catch more of the detail. Yeah. Than like than than, than like somebody who's just like a Primus fan might know a little bit of fucking Rush, but they're going. But somebody who knows that album like the back of their hand, you're gonna hear all the little, you know, nuances and stuff. Like holy fuck, these guys has put in their time. They have nothing but love and respect, and they were they were great friends. Uh, you know, ever since Rush took them out on the Counterparts tour, and it's it's coming from a place of love and respect, and that's that's incredible. And uh, I thought I, I thought the, the vocals were were good too. A lot of people who don't like Primus don't like uh, Les's voice, and I get that. It's definitely an acquired taste. But then again, so is Getty, but he doesn't sound like Les. You know, he's doing. It's, he can't do Getty, but he sings in more of that type of voice than, than you know, his regular uh, shtick that he does. And, uh, yeah, so it, it was amazing. I'm so glad I went, and I'm glad I didn't get as wasted. Yeah, I I, I, I was going to buy a ticket to this Primus thing, but the great Charlie Hill hooked me up. And another, another segue, uh, great Charlie Hill hooked me up with a ticket to The Who. I saw the Who, and that was fucking awesome. Really? Yeah, the Who came out and they did like a Tommy medley first. They had a whole full orchestra that, and where you need it in a lot of those songs because those songs were very orchestra based, you know, on the album itself. But then, like halfway through, the whole orchestra left the stage, and it was just a raw band. And my God, Zach Starkey, Ringo Starr's son, what a beast! on the drums that guy is. oh yeah yeah but then again he's he, he's covering for keith moon but when they did the stripped down thing they did my favorite song the seeker they did uh i can see for miles um can't explain and then they went into behind blue eyes where it just two people came out like a little cello thing and then they did a couple other songs you know they did some new stuff which i love and oddly enough nobody was really like leaving during it but, and, and honestly, dude, I mean, Jesus Christ, man. I think I was the youngest guy there, other than Charlie Hill and Danielle. And it, it, by me saying that, you know there were some old fucks there, man. And, uh, but man, they were so good. And then they ended the show with a block of um, Quadrophenia. And they did the uh, real thing, and then Pete alone on stage doing I Am One. Oh my God, it was just phenomenal. The one complaint I have about the show, though, the beginning of Love Rain On Me, man, they need to fire that fucking piano player. He went on for, I'm not shitting you, like five minutes. Five minute instrumental thing where here and there you hear a little bit of Rain On Me when, in the beginning of Rain On Me, but then he'd go into this other, you know, piano masturbation shit. It was fucking, it was boring, man. I mean, boring. That was the only boring thing about it. What I really felt bad for was the, dude, the opening act. It was, and they weren't bad. It was a chick and a dude, and, uh, and they both played acoustic guitar, and then she would get the keyboard one time. They do little, you know, they do their own thing. But they walk out on stage, everybody thinks it's the Who walking out. But these two walk out, and the chick's like waving at everybody, hi! And this guy, this drunk guy, this drunk old dude, he's like, you're not the Who! <laughs> and, and she heard it. <laughs> she oh, was like, man. yeah, we're not the Who. But there was nice, sweet, little acoustic music. I didn't mind it. I mean, I... You know, I didn't run out and buy anything that they, I don't even know who they were. But, you know, but then the Who came out and they played over two hours, too, man. That's another thing. It yeah, well, and awesome. When I saw the Who on the 89 reunion tour, they played for three and a half hours. 
Yeah, I and, saw that. That was that was the Quadrophenia show. Uh, no, they did Tommy. Tommy, that's right. Tommy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I remember, you know, I saw them first, and then a month later, I saw the Stones on the Steel Wheels tour, and I was so pissed off when the Stones only played for two hours. Because I thought all bands in that age played for three and a half hours, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, oh, Rob. But, uh, no, I, I'm glad it sounded good. I was hoping you were going to say at the end, uh, Pete came out and did a little boy. But uh, <laughs> I guess you can't do that no more. Pete was, Pete, man, there was one part where he said something to Roger. He said, blah, blah, blah. And then Roger goes, I can't hear you. I'm in a band that's very loud. And then Pete goes, yeah, but two of them are dead. And the whole place was like, it was an awkward feel, like, oh, shit. And then, yeah. like, it shouldn't be that loud anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pete, Pete hates Roger Daltrey, and he hates The Who, so, you know, he's just... He, 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 does, he hates playing live, he said in an interview, and he brought that up on stage, which was weird. You know, he's like, anybody that says I don't like doing this, fuck off. He just and he kept saying fuck off a lot during the show. He was in rare form. It was the first yeah. show... Oh, and that, another thing, it was the first show of the tour, and there was a lot of fucked up shit going up on stage that they kept talking about. It sounded fine to us, but I know about this, because there's times I'm on stage, and, you know, it sounds like flying saucers are landing on the stage, where everybody in the crowd after the show says, no, it sounded fine out here. But they were having that problem, like the monitors and all this. So they were kind of winging it at, at some point. Oh, and they did Don't We Don't Get Fooled Again, and they forget, like an acoustic version. And they forgot the lyrics. And then uh, Pete even looks at Roger. He's like, what, you forgot the lyrics? And so then Pete started ad-libbing. And he just sang whatever. And it rhymed. And the place went nuts. It was so cool, man. It was just a really cool. And, you know, the place is, uh, um, it's kind of intimate. I'd say maybe it holds about three, 4,000 people. And, yeah. it, and the sound there, I haven't heard a sound that good since I used to go to this place called Sunrise Musical Theater, where that acoustic was the greatest. This is the same thing. And plus, it's at the Hard Rock Casino. It's not where we went, Ian. It's the same place, but they build a new venue there. Oh, oh nice. Way better. Way, and, you know, nice. it's all seats, and it's nicely air-conditioned. It's, you know, very high-tech, and it was just fucking phenomenal. The Stones played there. I couldn't go to that because the cheapest tickets were 3000 uh, same thing with Paul McCartney, who's coming, and this breaks my heart because I never missed Paul McCartney since yeah. 1990. I've seen, I even went to Orlando once to see him. I can't see him this time, dude. Cheapest seats, I'm talking about nosebleeds, but but by the way, nosebleeds in this place is a perfect view. There's not a bad view in the place, but still, man, 3,000 bucks, you know? Yeah, and, fuck, and service fuck that. You know, I'm like, I, I love, dude, it's like, I don't know. Maybe no, I would I, no. There's no band I would do it. I almost said maybe I'd do it if the original Merciful Fate got back together. I think I would, but Tim Gaines is dead. I mean, listen to me, Tim Gaines. Tim Hanks is dead, <laughs> so that'll never happen. Um, yeah, and, and, and Tim Gaines is dead too. To Striper, to Striper. You know who he's playing bass for now? Slayer. Aldo Nova. Oh, wow. Well, at least it's a step up. <laughs> I'm gonna go see them soon too, Striper. Oh, oh, my! I hope it works this time that I accept Jesus in my heart. I've been trying. Yeah, I hope you catch a Bible. Maybe, maybe if I did catch one in the uh, in God We Trust store. I still got it somewhere. Um, oh, oh. 
Maybe if I stop listening to, you know, uh, black metal on the way there and on the way home, I can get Jesus in my heart. Uh, well, what does living color have to do with you uh, accepting Jesus into your heart? That is the liberal of our show. Hey! <laughs> All right. Well, next story. Uh, this will make you happy, Ralph. Judas Priest fails to make top five in the 2022 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction fan vote. Well, and it, it does make me happy, but it still doesn't make me happy Bon Scott is in there. Well, what's fucked up, <laughs> what's funny is I know we talked about this a few episodes ago, how uh, Dolly Parton recused herself, said, no, come on, I'm not rock and roll. You know, why am I in this? Why am I potentially taking the spot of somebody who deserves to be in here? Well, then at the last minute, she changed her fucking uh, opinion and said, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll humbly accept it. And so Judas Priest was beat out by Dolly Parton in the fan vote. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And, you know, my, my point is the fan vote, the fans that actually vote for this shit. Boy, they're legitimate. To hear that Judas Priest didn't make the top five, it, it, it speaks volumes of who, you know, are the fans. These are people that accept uh, Madonna and ABBA. You know how much I feel about ABBA. But ABBA is rock and roll? Yeah, right. These nuts. They're not, man. They, they, but I'm not going to sit here and say they don't belong in there because I used to say that. But now it's like, yes, they do belong in there. All these fucking Donna Summer, you know, get Millie Vanilli in there, MC Hammer, get Vanilla Ice. Get all that shit in there. I would totally respect the Rock and Roll Fame if they just continue to do the threats and leave Judas Priest the fuck alone. And I know Rob Hoffer wants to be part of it, but you know, fuck him. Right? Thank you. All righty. Well, next story relates to uh, your current. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't a suck versus suck episode. Uh, that would have been the two uh, Elvis albums you did. But hey. you did one. Hey. Whoa. You did, you did uh, like a classic versus suck, and I, it was Black, Black Sabbath, what, what was it, the first album versus 13 or some shit like that? I think it was Paranoid. Paranoid versus 13. Well, uh, Geezer Butler just talked about working with Rick Rubin and how underwhelming that was. And, and uh, you could hear it in the studio and just... Uh, you know, hearing what he said about working with Rick Rubin was just so funny, and it makes sense about how the record came out the way it did. He was totally the wrong man for the job, and man, what a what a sad way to uh, to end their career. Yeah, you know? I, I share that article uh, a lot, and I don't normally uh, share blabbermouth stories, but but this was a good one, and yeah, a lot. I mean, it feels like for the past twenty five years, everyone kind of has a, a negative. Uh, you know, experience with Rick Rubin. You know, ACDC going back to Ball Breaker, they were kind of the first people, I think, the first band that said, yeah, he kind of sucked, and that's why they didn't want to work with him again. Uh, and they used the engineer on their next album. Uh, Metallica did the same thing. Yeah, You know, I don't think they publicly, uh, maybe they have sh said something, but you notice that, you know, after Death Magnetic, they didn't use him again, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like, oh, we use him because it like gets our name in the press and Rick Rubin's a big name and Uwe's going to rejuvenate us. And then as soon as he quote unquote rejuvenates us, they they get as far away from him as possible. So I think that's very telling. Yeah, if you, if you really care about sounding good, get Andy Sneak. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's a 
producer to have out there. You know, Andy Sneap. Uh, you know, if you can get Terry Date, you know, get Terry Date. Uh, you know, but for, for metal like that, you know, get, get a metal fan, not somebody who you're going to give half your fucking points away to just to have a fucking name, you know, I, and, and what's the last Rick Rubin album, you know, produced album that was legitimately worth a shit. I mean, what, what are we talking about? Almost 30 years ago, 20 I'd years say, ago. I, I know the band was unhappy with the sound of the record, but I like ball breaker. I like the sound of it. I think it's got a cool stripped down sound. I'm really bad at production, so I can't tell you how good the production is on Ballbreaker. But I enjoy that album. I like it. It has a rawness. It's very dry. It bothers some people. They think it sounds too dry. But I like it. It has a kind of underground sound. They also, he produced a Big Gun single, which I think sounded good, too. Um, after that, I can't think of anything. I can't think of any album yeah. he did. Yeah. He was great in the 80s. You know, I love, you know, of course, the stuff he did with Slayer and Danzig. Like, he started off great. You know, but. yeah, but I mean, I, I think he cared back then. Now he yeah. can just rely on his name, you know. And and I did love that back in the day, you know, the diversity of the acts that he worked with, and I think it showed a passion that he had for music overall. Yeah, you know, the American record stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, not just a one genre, but I I think it's just like again, almost like. That's why him and Metallica are the perfect fucking match because they just got old, fat, and rich. And who gives a shit then, you know? Yeah, but even Metallica didn't want to work with him again. And then what do you know? The album they did afterwards was better. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. I can say is fuck Rick Rubin. I'm a better music fan. And I, throw me in the studio and let me lie down on a bed. I'll produce everybody as well. And let me tell you something. I don't blame Rick Rubin for 13. You know what I blame <laughs> for 13 are the fucking songs. Yeah. Yeah. They ain't no that shit. I don't care if you get any steep or whatever. A shit song's a shit song. Can't polish a turd. Yep. There's this. Hey, you there, Ian? Yeah. There's this guy that wrote me not so long as long as paragraph on uh on YouTube about that we need to the podcast Rock and Metal Combat podcast should just dedicate our show. A shitty album because he loves those episodes so much. <laughs> I was like, hey, dude, I, I'm not here to make you laugh with myself, you know? Fuck. I guess I do kind of like the, I don't know, I kind of like episodes where either you hate the album or love the album, you know? Like, did you, you love it like I loved Evil Knievel as a kid, him jumping over fucking buses and crashing and breaking every bone in his <laughs> I enjoyed it, but fucking Evil Knievel didn't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's like NASCAR. I only like it when somebody dies, you know. <laughs> oh. Preferably, prefer. Well, it's true, you know. Preferably in the crowd too, you know. If I had my pick, like the flaming car goes into the crowd, then you get a. Yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's great. I, I mean, one dead, <laughs> one dead NASCAR driver is awesome, but like you know, twenty dead fans is better, you know. But you know me, uh, you know, I, I I don't hate the driver. I hate the fans. Well. What <laughs> One thing for sure, you can say that without us getting in trouble. Because there's nobody woke at a fucking NASCAR drive. Uh, <laughs> no. None of them are woke at all. Yeah, but Justin Childers will quit the show again. God damn it. <laughs> all, right, all right, well, that's it for news. Now it's time to get in the album handpicked by Eduardo Canastracci. And that is the Beatles' 1967 Follow-up to Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour. So, uh, 
Edwin, first of all, you know, why did you pick this album? And tell us a little bit about your history with the Beatles. Well, I picked this album because uh, because uh, I just did an episode with my uh, partner in crime, Eric RMCP, Eric Jordan RMCP, which Ralphie Era, the one and only Ralph, joined us for that, and we it was a two-parter, Sergeant Pepper episode. So I was just you know thinking about the Beatles and I was thinking about this album, and as a lot of people know, even though I think it's a masterpiece and a great album, Sgt. Pepper is actually my least favorite Beatles album. So, and I like this album a lot better. Now, I can kind of objectively recognize Sgt. Pepper is the better album, or, well, I would say better, but more important album because it was first uh, in terms of this sound, the psychedelic kind of cabaret sound. But I just think song for song, I like the songs better on Mystery Tour. And there's a lot of other reasons when, which we'll get into why I prefer it. Uh, but of course, I prefer a lot every Beatles album pretty much to Sgt. Pepper. But Mystery Tour, I really love this album. I think it's great. If, when I'm in the mood, I got to be in a certain kind of mood to listen to it. But if I'm in the mood to listen to like a psychedelic cabaret, uh, you know, Beatles album, then I go for Mystery Tour before I go to Sgt. Pepper almost all the time. So it's uh, so I do love the album. The Beatles, I got into i mean as a little kid i just you know my parents were you know baby boomers they they had beatles albums uh so i knew of the beatles like instantly like i don't remember the first time just you know i lived in a world that the beatles existed and i do remember this records they had all the the records from revolver up you know uh, to abbey road and the record scared me like i looked at like mystery tour the album cover and like sergeant pepper they seemed creepy to me you know as a little kid i was like oh this is scary scary freaky hippies on drugs and i've been watching the yellow submarine uh movie and that scared me as i didn't like that blue meanies i didn't like it so um but i knew some of their songs and i liked paul mccartney because you know this is the 80s so paul mccartney's like hey he's that guy that sings with michael jackson he seems all right paul seems all right like as soon as you know after he got away from those creepy hippies he seemed to be all right so as a kid i liked paul but then, um, you know, like, I think this is true for a lot of Gen X and millennials. We we get into the Beatles because, like, when we're a teenager, especially if you get into, like, drugs or start smoking pot, you know, suddenly that shit that seemed creepy to me as a kid seemed cool. Like, suddenly I was like, yeah, mystery tour, dress up like an animal, do drugs, cool. So suddenly, you know, as a teenager... Suddenly, I and I got that uh, that double blue album compilation, and that had a lot of stuff from Mystery Tour on it, and that was like that was a gateway for me. And then, you know, I decided to get the albums. I think Mystery Tour was one of the first albums I got, and you know, I just got into. And now, I mean, I love all the Beatles stuff, even their early period. But in in my teen years, it was largely the later stuff and like the psychedelic stuff. I'd say kind of like Rubber Soul to like Abbey Road. Like that's what got. That's what turned me into a Beatles fan. Hey, hey, and, I, don't yeah. mean, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'll let you move on. Yes. But I, 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 I missed the age. What was the age that the Beatles scared you? How old were you? I would say I was like between like three and six. Uh, you know, that's when Ian discovered the Beatles. But he wasn't afraid at all because he started very young, between three and six. He started doing yes. drugs very young. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Didn't scare him yes. at all. He was running yeah. on cuckoo and shoe, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was in rehab with Elizabeth Taylor back then. You know? yeah, she, she, she turned me on. <laughs> he was in rehab with Groucho Marx. 
Uh, but I did like some of their songs. It's just like that. Like I remember hearing like Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine like on on the radio and stuff, or like when you went out to like I don't know restaurants. I told you, remember Showbiz Pizza Place? Uh, oh, yeah. They they played Beatles songs. They actually did. That was the first time I heard the Abbey Road medley. Was fucking Showbiz Pizza Place played the Abbey Road medley? When I heard Abbey Road, I was like, "Oh, it's that Showbiz Pizza Place medley." <laughs> like that's it. so, uh, which is cool. Fucking blew away Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese wasn't doing the Abbey Road medley, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, so the, so I liked the music. I liked Paul McCartney as a kid, but like the psychedelic era, especially, just seemed really creepy to me. So and it, I didn't actually listen to those records, which is good because if I'd listened to like I Am the Wars, like as far as Five, I, I would have shit my pants. It would have scared me. <laughs> so, I was a soft kid. What can I say? So, although I, I would watch horror movies and stuff, you know, I was like watching Jaws and shit. So, like that was all right. But I don't know. Something about hippies, creepy psychedelic hippies, just scared me. I don't know why. Well, even on drugs, Ian would poop his diapers. But that's because <laughs> all the little kids can't hold their. They don't know. How to, Ian wasn't potty trained when he was hitting the hot drugs already. But then it uh, feels uh, good. It feels good. It's like, yeah, you like, you, you're into it then. Yeah. Uh, the, the first time I heard this album, I was in rehab, and Groucho, <laughs> and Groucho was all coked up, keep whining about how he had to carry Harpo. He's like, Harpo don't say shit. He doesn't do anything. I got, he's got a fucking horn. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I got, I got so tired of hearing it. I just put on a record, and I heard the Beatles. He's like, he's like animal, a, animal soup these nuts. <laughs> Mystery uh, Tour is a great album to drown out Groucho with. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah, bombastic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ralph, how about how about you? When did you get Magical Mystery Tour? Well, I, I, I discussed this. I'll make it real brief. It's a, it's a little long, but you're, you're going to see me condense the fuck out of this. <laughs> I talked about it on, on Eddie and Eric's show. Um, I was always... I was never a Beatles fan. I was like a casual Beatles fan. The only, only Beatles album I ever owned was the blue one, you know, that, that greatest hits, the second, second half. Uh, I I owned that. And then, you know, I mean, every time I heard the Beatles, I loved it, but it wasn't. And then in the eighties, they started releasing the CDs, but you know, on the anniversary, on the 20th anniversary, you know, you get the first one, you know, it all built up. I still didn't buy them. So they were all released on CD. They released this box set that was made out of wood that I bought. I bought that. And I did a heavy Beatles album. And I'm talking, I think 1990 or 89, 90, around there. I started, I I got into the Beatles by listening to the whole discography. Because I was like, and then, you know, I'm discovering like all these songs that were much better. Well, I wouldn't say much better, but just as good or better than the songs that were on that Blue album. And I got really hooked on the really early stuff too, as much as the later stuff. You know, I love that early uh, Please Please Me with the Beatles. You know, I, I loved all that stuff. And I loved Abbey Road and, you know, the, uh, Let It Be and all that shit. But I got into, and, you know, Magical Mystery Tour is an album I heard while listening to discography. I can't say, oh, I discovered this album there. No, I discovered the discography at the time. And uh, <clears throat> I liked it. I mean, I, I love the whole, I mean, there's songs here and there, you know, I can't get into but overall you know nobody wrote better songs than john and paul period period and it's very hard for me to pick what is my favorite beetle between john and paul sometimes most of the time it's like paul uh john but then paul done some genius shit and his 
contribution to the bass guitar to those songs is what makes those songs like so you know uh memorable and hooky those those bass lines you would throw in you know it, it, you know that's kind of like okay yeah maybe paul is the best beetle but you know john and i wasn't really the big fan of uh john after he left the beatles but man when he was in the beatles that guy was firing all cylinders and i love everything he did on this album that's for sure oh no that's not true no there's a song he sings on this album i don't like no but maybe there's two maybe there's oh. two I'm trying oh. to think no, because the other one is a harmony song. It's not just John Lennon. Interesting. I have an idea, but we'll see. Well, one of them I know already, but yeah. But I, I'm with you. I. It's tough in the Beatles. It's John or Paul. It's really tough. After Easily Paul, I definitely like Paul's. I like Wings much better than John's solo stuff for the most part. Um, but in the Beatles, yeah, it's John and Paul are kind of neck and neck, depending on the album, you know. Uh, sometimes, like... Sergeant Pepper, I gave Paul the edge, you know, but the White Album, I give John the edge, you know, it kind of depends. And this one, I think they're pretty neck and neck, actually, so it's tough. Yeah. How did yeah. you discover Magical Mystery Tour, Ian? Uh, well, that would be my, before I even listened to it in rehab, uh, <laughs> my mom's records, I was the opposite uh, of what Eduardo was saying here. Uh, I was intrigued by the album covers, this one in particular. And what I loved is it was a gatefold and there was pictures and all this shit in it. And I just thought like, wow, this, this is neat. I, I was drawn to it. Uh, you know, and then like I said, the first time I put it on is because Groucho wouldn't shut up about fucking Harpo. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I still wasn't sure, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, as a little kid hearing this. And, you know, then the album was over. I'm like, eh, I don't know. And I took the headphones off. And then Groucho's like, and Zeppo! Zeppo <laughs> didn't do a fucking thing. That's why I kicked his ass out, you know? And, uh, you know, and he's like, Chico, fuck my wife! And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm done with this shit. So I put the headphones back on. I listened to it again, and, and it all sunk in. Um, but, you know, I mean, I really don't remember a time without the Beatles uh, but you know there was the time that, that when I got it when I got into it when it wasn't just what my parents listened to when it's when it became my music as well and I think the Beatles transcends generations because it is I mean like Ralph saying earlier you know I, I don't I, I can almost understand it if somebody doesn't like the Beatles in a way but if you don't at least just acknowledge their genius and respect that then I, I really got no use for you you know it's like okay go back to your Sammy Hagar shut the fuck up uh and I, I don't is it is it Eric that doesn't like the Beatles no Eric doesn't like the Rolling Stones so yeah that, he doesn't like nothing. we're gonna do an yeah. episode about that at some point but yeah, yeah I, I don't yeah. think he's listened to them enough to be uh, but it's possible sometimes I noticed the Beatles have crossed over a, a little more Especially metal and hard rock fans. I don't know why, but I think sometimes the Stones are a little too rootsy for them or something. Like, they don't like the bluesiness, I think. Maybe. Yeah, Just yeah well, I, I I don't understand that either. But, uh... And I don't. Well, I, don't I, mean, I, I mean, the the Beatles, you know, to me are the greatest band ever. Are they my favorite band? No. But are they the greatest? You goddamn right. 
And uh, what's funny is the age difference between me and Ralph, but when we really got into them was around the same time. As a matter of fact, this was the first Beatles album that I bought myself. You know, I, I, I remember vividly uh, this place on Court Street in Kankakee called The Shop. And that's where I bought my first Beatles album. And I remember, uh, well, I got it on CD. I bought this, Tom Petty, Damn the Torpedoes, and I think oh, something God. else. But uh, but yeah, I was I was into that shit, man. As much as I loved, you know, cock rock and metal, and that was my shit. I, I loved what my parents listened to, and it was still cool and hip to listen to that. You know, it was on, you know, Chicago classic rock radio was incredible. Back then, I have no idea what the state of it is today. I mean, I've, I've left Chicago in the 90s, but uh, it was incredible. And everybody I went to school with, I mean, we we all loved the history. You know, we loved what came before us as much as what we considered ours. And I had to think, because I remember very vividly, uh, well, I guess not that vividly because I had to think about it, but... Uh, when I was really into this, I remember a weekend in particular when I stayed home, I, I used to go to my father's grandparents on the weekends and I, I lived with my, with my, other, my, with my other grandmother during the week and I stayed home that weekend. And at the time, all I was listening to was magical mystery tour. And I had a waterbed. Remember when those were big, I had a waterbed. And I was rearranging it that weekend. That was my big deal. Un get all the water out of the waterbed, move the waterbed, refill up the waterbed. And I remember uh, three things vividly, but one I was way off on. One, I remember Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas. I remember there was a new Brady's show on. Uh, and I thought I remembered Jeffrey Dahmer. And I looked up the dates on all these things, and, and Jeffrey Dahmer got caught a year and a half later. But I was right about the premiere of the new Brady show and Tyson getting his ass kicked by Buster Douglas. But I remember that weekend, man, that was just, that was right after I'd got it. So it, that was February of 1990. And I just listened to this album over and over and over and then I went back and got the rest of the shit, even though I was familiar with a lot of it because of my dad's record collection. But this one has a very special place in my heart. And you hit on a lot of things, uh, Eduardo, that I, how I feel. I prefer this to Sgt. Pepper, even though I acknowledge Sgt. Pepper is the better record, the more important record, but it is probably my least favorite Beatles record. And wow, there you go. I'm not so crazy after all. No, and, no, and, no, and no. actually, both are crazy. Okay, I knew it was one and, or the other. <laughs> and and, and pro probably a good portion of that is overkill, uh, you know, because that's one. My, I mean, my dad played over and over, and then you know, songs you would hear on the radio over and over, you know, and then there's songs I just don't care for that are on that album. Where this one, I love every song on this album. Uh, there, there is a least favorite track. You know, and I'll talk about that. 
but there's no song that I dislike on this where, you know, there's a song I really fucking hate on Sgt. Pepper. There's actually three songs I don't like on Sgt. Pepper. It's the yeah. only Beatles album, and that's why I say, despite its importance and despite being a masterpiece, I feel like it automatically should be my least favorite Beatles album because it's the only one that has three songs I don't like. You know, this right. song, Magical Mystery Tour, has four songs I don't like. Wow. I, yeah. And, and, and as soon as Ralph told me that, you know, before we got you on, on the horn here, uh, I was like, wow, this must be your least favorite Beatles album then, you know? It's like, yeah. You know, I, I, I can't think of any Beatles album where they're like, oh, God, four songs, you know? Yeah, even, yeah you know, I, I, would, I, I could pick more songs on the early ones, even though I, I was telling Ian earlier, I love early Beatles. But I would put this above Please Please Me, Meet the Beatles, and For Sale, and Hard Day's Night. I would put... Right. And, but I love those albums I just talked about, but I would put this, this album above those, so it's not my least favorite. Right. I but, the, the, the early stuff, it's kind of like early Stone stuff when they do covers and stuff. I don't know. To me, it's just like there's nothing bad on those albums, in my opinion. They're just like some songs are just like all right filler tracks, like whereas Sgt. Pepper actually has a couple songs that annoy me, which is well, unusual. I, I, I agree with you there, too, Eduardo. I mean, we're kind of spot on with this because... You know, as a kid, I was definitely, you know, aside from a few tracks here and there, I was definitely a Jumping Jack Flash forward Stones fan. Yeah. And with the Beat the Beatles, I was psychedelic Beatles. You know, it took me, you know, uh, some maturity to appreciate early Beatles and early Stones because it is definitely more rocky rolly. I mean, but also, I grew such an appreciation for Chuck Berry, for Little Richard, shit like that, you know. But the Beatles are the ones who changed everything. And I, I saw uh, there was a comment a, a reviewer left that I kind of agreed with is that they said the Beatles did everything on this album that the Stones tried to do on Satanic Majesties. And I still love Satanic Majesties, but it's a bad Stones album you know as far as the stones go but you know they were trying to do the same thing where i think the beatles you know nailed it here but i grew up you know also looking at this as an album you know yeah. and it's and it's really not uh in fact in europe it was released as as a, a double ep and only in the states you know originally was it released as what they released in the UK plus the singles they released in, in that era or in, in that year I should say and that's something that happened a lot in the 60s and you didn't see really you know 70s was you know well actually you know post Sgt. Pepper it became album rock you know yeah uh, where, where that you know it was seen much more as a collection of singles and stuff but I remember even as a kid like there's Beatles songs that I love. Like what album's I on? You know, and the same with the Stones. What album's Jumpin' Jack Flash on? It wasn't on a fucking album. It was yep. a single. You know, and you didn't find it till you got a compilation. You know, it's like, well, it's on Hot Rocks. What 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 album? You know, was Jumpin' Jack Flash on? And then today I found out even more shit that I, I that I never knew when I was doing research is that songs that are on this were released before Sgt. Pepper. Oh yeah, yeah. And as much I knew that. Yeah, Strawberry Fields much, and Patty Lane. Patty Lane. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think there's there's something else too. Uh, 
Strawberry but, Fields. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, as much as a Beatles fanatic as I am, and I love that shit, I didn't know about the dates because, you know, it wasn't my era. I just know what came after. It's and, still uh, you know, all 67. That's amazing. Just imagine. Like, well, still, every yeah, oh, yeah. Seven. And so they, the Beatles released enough stuff for to put together this technically a compilation album and Sgt. Pepper right. all one goddamn year. <laughs> you know? It's amazing. Right. No, no, and it, it really kind of took me back because I, I find it funny how, you know, Ralph and I, even though we're close, I mean, he's still got, what, you're nine years older than me, Ralph? I'm Something 50, like that, you know? I'm 57 now. Okay, nine years, yeah, because I'm about ready to turn 48. Damn um, I know, I'm feeling it too. But, you know, there, there's so much stuff we talk about on this show that we live through. You know, we were there, and we were at the concerts, and we have the t-shirts, and, and all this shit, you know, that, that you know, younger fans just, you know, hear about. You know, we were there. Well, this is stuff, even Ralph, and, you know, I weren't there. You know, we grew up in the aftermath of it. So, you know, I learned some new shit studying this. But uh, I've always absolutely loved this, and uh, was really glad you picked this one. This is one of the fan ones. You know, even though, you know, we're we're happy to do them all, but, you know, when it's something like this that we know like the back of our hands, and hell, I still listen to this album three times before we did this. Uh, just, yeah, I did, just I out listened, of pure joy. I listened to the mono EP version of it, then I listened to the mono, this is how nerdy I got with it, then I listened to the, the mono singles, and then I listened to the stereo version of the complete, like, American version of the album. Just right. in case we talk about that shit, like the difference. I, I actually oh. study because I know the sound so well. What I played to get myself ready for this was My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Ouch! But I'll tell you, this was the first time I listened to this shit with headphones on. Because I mean, well, that's the really, as a, I picture you in the '90s, you know, getting high and putting headphones on. No, not so much. I mean, when I was a kid. I listened to headphones when I bought cassettes, when I had a Walkman, and I used to go around and I'd ride my bike with my Walkman on, or I'd skateboard with my Walkman on. And then, you know, I got my license in 1990, and I had the huge fucking Alpine system. It was a pullout, uh, you know, and I just listened to stuff on stereos, and I had like a kick-ass stereo. I didn't have like good headphones, like my old man had those big, huge headphones that went over your ears and had uh, the long curly... Cord, you uh, know, too, with and, a little cushion on the on the ears. Oh yeah, yeah. that oh. that's the kind I'm using right now. I have those kind of headphones right yeah. now. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, well that's ba- that's back in vogue now. Yeah, you know that's back in vogue. But in the '80s, you had those shitty headphones. Yeah, I remember you know, them. Walkman. Yeah, with the little foam piece on there. Yeah, the little foam ears. piece, and it, it always fell off. Yeah, they sucked. They sucked. Yeah. yeah. So I I didn't get back into headphones till probably the late 90s you know and also you know the cds when i originally bought the beatles discography uh you know it was not audiophile quality that you get now you know as a matter of fact you know i heard shit on this today and i've been listening to this album for fucking 30 something years you know probably you know even before that i knew a lot of these songs but since i physically bought this in 1990 you know but i'm i heard shit that i'd never heard before and then after I'd listened to this three times, I started listening to the White Album. 
and I was listening to the, that new remaster that they just put out a couple years ago with headphones on, and I was hearing shit like, holy fuck, god damn, this is a, it, it's like a fucking orgy in your ears when you listen <laughs> to the Beatles with headphones on, because there's so many instruments, man, they never could have pulled this shit off live, it's a good thing they weren't touring at the time, because they couldn't have done these songs justice, you yep. know, and you know, and yes, Pink Floyd sounds great with headphones on. There's shit like that, but there is nothing like the Beatles, because of the you know, you add the genius of the Beatles plus George Martin, plus all those quality studio musicians, you know, the tape uh, manipulation, all that stuff that would go on in a fucking Beatles song. They're the fucking greatest. They are the fucking greatest. Definitely but, the gr- greatest headphone band. I agree. There's something uh, Pink Floyd's great, but there's something very kind of controlled about their psychedelia. You listen to Beatles, you just hear. I was thinking the same thing, Ian. You just yeah. hear a lot of crazy shit thrown in there, just like shit that's oh, yeah. just like, what the fuck is going on there? How are they making that sound? You know? Yeah. It's amazing. Well, uh, enough of me rambling, or I'm gonna get back into what a cokehead Groucho was. So <laughs> why don't you take the opening track, Magical Mystery Tour, Eduardo? Okay, this song. Uh, this is a song, if people listen to that Sgt. Pepper episode of uh, me and Eric show, they probably would think I hate this song because I have mixed feelings about Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the song. I like elements of that song, but I'm not crazy about that chorus. This, so I think people would think this chorus would likewise annoy me, but for some reason it doesn't. I, And it's funny because the other song's a little more rock and roll, but for some reason I just like this song better. I like it a little bit better in Sgt. Pepper. I don't know. To me, it's a little less try-hard. It's a little looser and more druggy-ish. I can say that for the whole album. Like, I don't know. To me, Sgt. Pepper overall sounds a little like Beatles go to psychedelic Broadway, where this just sounds like Beatles just being fucking psychedelic. It just sounds druggier to me. It's a little weirder. It's a little darker. It's a little messier in spots. And... That, I like that. You know, Sgt. Pepper just sounds a little more controlled. And Mystery Tour just sounds kind of like a kind of messy, druggy anthem song. And it's real snappy and it's still catchy. I love the guitar chords and the verses. I like that little coda at the end with the piano. It reminds me of one of my favorite parts of Sgt. Pepper, which is um the ending of um, Lovely Rita. It uh, gets a little jazzy and dark and freaky. And uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite songs on the album, but it's a, it's definitely a great track, a great way to get the party going. And that's what it feels like. It feels like the whole idea of a mystery tour, if you know, watch the actual special, it's, you know, it's getting on, it's like a British culture thing where they, it's a, they get on a bus and they get pissed. They all get drunk on the bus while they drive around. And I think that's something that's lost to a lot of uh, non-British, you know, fans and people listening to this, that they don't quite get what a mystery tour is. But it's like, they're taking something that's very quaint and kind of British, but, you know, getting psychedelic with it. Like, hey, what if us freaky young kids got on and did a, did a bus tour, but you know, around the English countryside, but did a lot of drugs and got freaky with it. So, and it has that vibe. It has that looseness to it. Like when people are kind of getting drunk and singing along together, but it's in a psychedelic way. So yeah, so to me, it just has that vibe and I dig it. I think it's a great uh, opening track. Ralph? Um, yeah, this is a cool track. Um... It's that it's, I hear, you know, the thing is that Sgt. Pepper and this are, it's like Rubber Soul and Revolver. They're sister albums. Yeah. And um, just 
it, it's a reinvention. This could be to me a Sgt. Pepper song, you know, because it's you know Sgt. Pepper is drastic from everything. Even you know Revolver had little hints of it, but this this sounds like just the Beatles being Sgt. Pepper. It sounds like something off that album. Squared. It's it's a song, and and I'm not. It's gonna sound like I'm bashing it, but you know, let me just say first, I love this song, but. It is a song that the casuals would probably hear, the Beatle haters, they, you know, the clueless that would hear. They don't know the Beatles. They only know a couple of hits. And, and if they hear this, they're like, "Man, this is this is considered the greatest band ever." Because you know, you need you need to fucking dive into all of it, in my opinion, to recognize the genius of this song. And it's different. It's just a different sounding band, and uh, I love it, Ian. Well, I love it too, and I, I think I love it more than both of you combined. Uh, I think this is a perfect fucking track. Uh, definitely hear, you know, the Sgt. Pepper sound in this one. Uh, and I love it. I, you know, I couldn't believe looking at the song lengths, you know. This is only two minutes and 48 seconds of fucking perfection. And my favorite part, oh, I love it. But is when when the vocals kick on that ah, and then Ringo's like, doo, 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 you know, at the end, and that that is the secret of Ringo. God damn it, Ringo just comes out of nowhere with something simple, but yet so fucking awesome. I love me some fucking Ringo. Hell I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you know if if you live on fucking planet Earth, you know your favorite Beatle. It's always back and forth between uh john and paul but man fucking i love me some ringo and when people tell me oh george harrison was my favorite hey i, I look at you like you just said oh my favorite member acdc simon wright you know wow. simon wright wow. yeah I, I i'm sorry you know i i love george i respect george but come on man this is the john and paul show but fucking ringo does not get enough respect and I think it's because he's so simplistic in what he does, but yet it's so important. And just like that little, you know, that kickback in, and I fucking love it, you know? And that's, he. I think he's an underrated member, like the way, unfortunately, you don't hear enough people talk about Phil Rudd. You don't hear enough people talk about Bunny Carlos. You know, you know there, there, there's certain members that fucking hold it all together. You know, like you can have these geniuses duking it out, but without that fucking backbone there, like a Charlie Watts. Yep. You know, it will Mick and Keith, you know, you know, it's that fucking Charlie Watts that is so fucking good, you don't realize how good he is. Cause you never hear him fuck up. You never hear a fucking mess up. And you could be as showy as all this, but if you can't be solid, you know, and it you know, reminds me of when uh, uh what what the fuck Ramon is it? Uh who's who's the guy that took over for, for Tommy? No, Marky. Yeah. yeah. Marky talked about taking over for Tommy. And he's, he's like, God damn. He goes, you know, people think that's so easy. He goes, try playing that beat constant and solid. And, and, and but yet that fast for even that short period of time. And then do a whole set of it. You know, sometimes people are just so good. You take them for granted. And uh, oh, yeah, that little. Ringo kicking at the end. Think of that, motherfucker. Next time you hear it, 
you know, or you know, anybody listen to the show, go listen to the song that little when it, when the drums kick back in. You know, it reminds me of uh, like the uh, police uh, wrapped around your finger. You know, when when he shuts up for a second and and Copeland comes back in, just like bam, and just snaps you back into the song and you know back into the groove and while you're there. Oh, I love Magical Mystery Tour. Great version by Cheap Trick too on their Greatest Hits album. I, I man, I, Cheap Trick does some great fucking Beatles covers. Yeah, and that, uh, that, that Sgt. Pepper Cheap Trick thing is 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 like spot on. Yeah, yeah it's time to add the technology. And the guy that was the engineer on Sgt. Pepper organized that whole thing. I mean, you know, orchestra and all that shit. Yeah. And, and Trick is the American Beatles, hands down. Yeah, and and usually Beatles is a band I, I want people to leave the fuck alone. Like, don't cover the Beatles. Don't cover the Beatles because, you know, no. But Cheap Trick, uh, Cheap Trick can do whatever. I love me some fucking cheap trick. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I'll take the next song, uh, Fool on the Hill, which I was surprised to see. Uh, I, I think is only second to yesterday as the most covered Beatles song. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, I had no I, I had no idea. Yeah, I would have um, guessed that. But I love Fool on the Hill. Uh, and it, it's quintessential Paul. There's, you know, the, you know, grandpa and grandma vibe to it, you know, that, you know, you could listen to it with your parents or whatever. You know, Paul always had that quality where, you know, uh, you know, John was the angry and the biting one, you know, and and Paul is the, you know, the cute one that everybody could love and get behind and his music makes everybody happy. And it's that yin and yang between him and, and John that just fueled everything, you know, that and their, their genius. But uh, I, I think it's a great song, and I love that, uh, you know, if, if you read into what the song is really about, you know, is the, the fool on the hill is not the fool. You know, he is really, you know, you're the fool, and he's the one just observing you, and you, you're taking him for granted. But this guy knows a hell of a lot more than you, and that's a theme that uh, comes back into this album. It's, it's a theme that was also present on Sgt. Pepper about, you know the older generation and the younger generation and coexisting and and understanding each other which is a timeless theme a timeless theme so basically uh, so basically the fall on the hill is ringo yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because ringo's ringo's gonna outlive everybody yeah. mark my words I think he he ringo's, great, last, ringo's so, last one standing i think yep i think ringo looks awesome oh he looks great for his age he looks better than paul these days yeah he yeah. looks great he looks really remember yeah. ian when we interviewed uh greg bissonette yeah he, he was talking about how healthy ringo is and how he's picking up heavy shed oh yeah that, that greg bissonette interview he really went on uh went off on the ringo thing and how ringo is today Man, he looks very healthy. He's a badass. Oh yeah, fucking Paul's got that turkey neck coming on that hits the bass now when he plays it and shit. You know, fucking Ringo looked tight, <laughs> tight, 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 tight. <laughs> but uh, I, I I love Fool on the Hill. Uh, great song. I I think it's an uh, definitely an underrated song. Something you know I don't think I've ever heard Fool on the Hill on the radio, and I don't know if that's on the. Because I, I never bought the blue and the red. It's it's on the blue one. And I actually have heard all of it. Surprised you never heard it. Is yeah. it okay? 
Yeah, uh, it's no. considered one of the bigger songs from this album, actually. Well, I, I I never heard it on Chicago rock radio. And when I lived in the South, if it wasn't Skinner or Molly Hatch, <laughs> you know, or the fucking Eagles, you didn't hear it. You'd hear it in Philly. Uh, I didn't, Philly played some full notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I actually I didn't hear much Beatles in Florida. At I le- do at least think where it was I'm... a yeah. I think it was a bigger song in its day. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a single, but um, but I do like I know there was lounge acts that like did covers of it and shit in the '60s. It was one of it was one of the songs. You know. Yeah. Well, well, what do you think of Fool on the Hill? I think it's a goddamn masterpiece. I think it's the best Paul McCartney song on the album. It's one of the best songs he ever wrote, period. I love this song. And I think it's deceptively McCartney-esque. Like, the verses, you know, are upbeat. But, you know, it gets into that chorus. And that chorus is kind of dark sounding. You know, it kind of shifts from uh, major to minor keys. And you know, with the it shifts the theme. Like here, it's bouncy. He's just this dumb guy. But then when he's revealing that now nah, the fool knows what's going on, it suddenly gets a little dark sounding. It's subtle, almost, but, almost like Eleanor Rigby kind of. Yeah, there's that touch. It. Yeah, there's a little darkness there, and so and I love that. I love the shades, and that's like in the White Album. The whole goddamn album's like that. You know, it's just constantly shifting from deceptively upbeat to dark upbeat to dark and that's happening in this one song it's another one i mean look this is the beatles i don't think any band ever could make a song that's under three minutes long sound so epic and have so much going on but still be like epic you know it's like effortless sounding and organic like you know i can't even imagine paul mccartney sitting down and writing fool on the hill it just sounds like it was an instant standard that always existed you know that he just plucked from the universe somehow uh, it's an amazing song his singing's amazing on it it's it's a fucking masterpiece to me like fool on the hill is like i don't know it's it's comparative it's like you got to compare it to like mozart or picasso uh it's like one of the greatest so- songs the beatles ever wrote and it's not um there's a couple songs i like better on this album but it's definitely my favorite mccartney song i think it's great i don't think enough people talk about it now but i love it yeah, it, it's awesome. Um, you guys pretty much covered it. Uh, it's not really whimsical, but it is a Paul song. You can tell. Very ballady and uh, man, I don't know what else to add to it. I absolutely love it. You know, it's a song that when it comes on, I have to sing along to it. I, I, a lot of Paul songs are that way. It's it's just a hooky little beautiful little ballad that. Uh, I learned something every day. I didn't realize that the fool was not the fool. Uh, I love it. What's after that? I want to take the next one, the instrumental flying. All right, here's where it hits the fucking floor here, man. This song sucks. I'm sorry. I know you guys like it. It's boring, and it just goes nowhere, and then it goes no. It goes even more shitty when when you got that la 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 um i hate it now something we came up with on the last episode i don't know if ian remembers this but i have a little theme song for what ian and and eddie's gonna talk about what they think about flying and here it goes now it's time for eddie and ian to disagree with ralph (laughs) <laughs> uh, he wants to go first <laughs> Eduardo, take it away Yeah, uh, I, 
I mean, it's it's an instrumental, so like right there, like you know, you can't quite compare it to like. Is this is this the only Beatles instrumental not including you know all those medleys and Abbey? <laughs> it might be actually thinking about it. This might be the it, only Beatles it, instrumental. It, yeah. yeah, it's her it's her first uh, instrumental written by the Beatles since Twelve Bar Original. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, we. I kind of this is an instrumental, but I to me it's so connected to the song it goes into. Like to me, I feel like this is part one, and then it's part two. And we'll talk about the next song when we get there. But in itself, I like it's just the vibe, man. I love that vibe. You know, it's just got this nice trippy floating kind of vibe. And this goes back to what Ian was saying. Um, fucking Ringo Starr, man. That beat, I love. I agree with everything Ian said. You know, we're, we're all like Team Ringo here. He's my third favorite Beatle musically, personality-wise. He's my favorite. I think Ringo's the coolest. Um, he's, you know, he just doesn't. He's not as try-hard as you know, you know, Paul and, and or John was back in the day, and not as crabby. Yeah, not and, as crabby and Cave, as George. <laughs> Caveman is a better movie than Give My Regards to Broad Street. And if I could look at Bar- and Barbara Bach was his woman, come on, the spy who loved me, he was fucking tapping that shit. Fucking Ringo. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he was getting drunk with the Hollywood vampires. Ringo was a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he, he played the drum solo from uh, the uh, the Sweet Trilogy in her fucking vagina. There's, I think this thing people like think about like the more technical drummers and stuff like that. Even it's like, and I won't go off about like Metallica, but it's a little like Lars Ulrich, like where, and I think we all agree with this. Like, yeah, there's drummers that are more technical, but Lars has personality. He's got personality in his drumming. Like you hear it and you go like, that's Lars. He's a little sloppy, but he's got personality and it's part of the character of the music. Well, you could say that even 10 times more with Ringo. Like, it's such a character, and it's hard to get personality out of drums. But he fucking does it. And I, I hear a lot of soul in his drumming. Like, it sounds like kind of drumming you would hear on, like, a Wilson Pickett album or, like, Sly and the Family Stone. Like, he just got beat. He's the fucking beat in Beatles, you know? And I love it. And you hear Ringo, you know, singing, you know, when the... I always like a chorus, you know, the, the sound of the Beatles when you hear Ringo's voice a little bit. So... Uh, I, I, it just has a nice floating vibe. It's a nice trippy stoner song. It also makes me think of one thing too, and I think uh, me and Ian are also fans of this, uh, is like early 90s Beastie Boys, where those yeah. albums like Check Your Head, Ill Communication, which I totally loved, and they were, they were total headphone albums too. Um, those albums are, I, I could tell they were influenced by like Sgt. Pepper and Mystery Tour, because they had that thing where the songs kind of go into each other and they, they're like little different pockets of a vibe. And they would be instrumental, you know, there were instrumental songs on those albums and shit like, you know, lighting it up and stuff like that. And this just has that vibe. It's like a stoner, trippy, instrumental song. And I dig the vibe and I love the sequencing, especially of this version, the U.S. like, which is now kind of considered the official album version. Uh, I love the sequencing and I think it's perfect between the two songs it is. It's a nice little segue. So that's what I think of Flying. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And no, I totally get what you're saying about early 90s Beastie Boys. I loved when they went instrumental, you know, and, and I love when they did like the instrumental EPs and shit and definitely this kind of vibe. And what this reminds me of when I hear it, besides like the perfect flow, like I, I can't imagine hearing this album in any other sequence than, than what I, I grew up on. But uh, it just reminds me of coming on. 
you know, like when you're when you're passing that joint, you know, and then all of a sudden you're feeling it. Yep. You know, or or when that that tab's finally kicking in, and you look over at your buddy and you both start laughing, you know, and you got that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's kicking in. <laughs> yep. It's kicking in. You know, that's how this song is. And, you know, especially when it's like that, you know, that, you're like, yeah, I'm yep. getting ready to trip balls. And, man, I'm really feeling this shit, you know, and I love that. I love that. Um, and and I get the, it's almost like getting high without drugs when I hear this. It gives and, you that uh, feeling. That's the thing. It's like, it's oh, so, yeah, oh, yeah. It's oh, free. yeah. I get flashbacks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I get I get zoned in, and I'm like, okay, okay, this shit's kicking in. All right, I love it. One of the few songs that are credited to all four Beatles, and uh, this was written as basically, you know, just to have some background music for the movie, uh, which you know we haven't got into. This was a, a crazy time for them because Brian Epstein had just died. Uh, Paul, you know, Paul came up with the idea of doing the movie and all this shit, and he kind of had grandiose uh, ideas for this. You know, oh, he was going to be an executive producer, and this was going to be something he was going to get into. And you know, there was a little bit of resentment from John for, for that, and John kind of stepped back a little bit, even on on Sergeant Pepper, compared to what he used to be. You know, Paul's really bringing in the reins now but they said even in the studio you know now they're starting to pull away from george martin and they're giving more uh you know oh i think it should sound like this where before you know they always put their trust and faith into george and this is one where uh george even says he stepped back a little bit on this and i forget the engineer uh i think it was uh Emmerich, I think his name was, or something. Anyway, I'm probably wrong, but uh, nah, man, this this is drug shit, man, and this is the height they're fucking, they're they're drug taking and they're they're LSD, you know, and you know, and that's the thing you could tell on Revolver, I mean, uh, Rubber Soul and Revolver, the weed influence, you know, yep. and now the the acid's kicking in on these on these next two albums, and uh, fucking a. Any, anybody tells you drugs don't help music is on heroin, uh, you know, and they're they're in the throes of it. <laughs> they're they're not in the beginning part where you have inspiration. They're in the where I'm, I need it or I'm gonna get dope sick. Because when bands sober up, they don't do shit like this. They start sucking. Look at Aerosmith. Look at you know Motley Crue. Give me whatever the fuck Motley Crue was on during "Shot the Devil." Than fucking uh, you know sober fucking Doctor Feelgood, uh, and give me the Beatles any fucking time. But man, especially when they're on these fucking drugs, and it just works for me. I love it. And then it does lead in. It is it is to me a perfect segue to the next one, Blue Jay Way, uh, the George Harrison track on this. And yes, George Harrison songs are nine times out of ten my least favorite. And uh, this is one of those nine. This is my least favorite song on the album, but I still like it. I still like this song, but it goes on too long. And it's it's only three minutes and 50 seconds, but you could easily cut 50 seconds off this fucking song. 
George wrote this one about he was uh, he went to California and just had a long ass flight from London to LA and he's, he's jet lagged and he was looking for I think it was Derek Taylor their publicist or some some guy who worked for the Beatles and he was trying to find him and, and George was trying to stay awake while this guy was walking through the fog in the hills in Hollywood uh, trying to find him and uh, it, you know it's like I had no idea it's about that but I never listened to lyrics anyway I, it's just I went with the vibe of the song and uh, I dig it I don't hate it it's definitely better than Within You Without You whatever the fuck that horrible song is on Sgt. Pepper that damn near ruins the fucking album for me I think that I think that could be the worst George Harrison Beatles song ever uh, but uh, this one not as bad but it could have been trimmed should have been trimmed and stay in your lane. You're in a band with John and Paul. <laughs> Let them do the heavy lifting. That's what I think. What do you think, Ralph? Three minutes and 50 seconds, and you said trim down 50 seconds? I say trim down three minutes and 50 seconds. Fuck this song. This song is... To me, I don't know, man. Uh, it's what and what with that... With that sorry, I don't even want to remember that. The title that started the Pepper song. I'm sorry. I I just can't stand this Indian bullshit. You know, when John did it, it was good on Norwegian Wood. Didn't overdo it and made a song out of it. George is just trying to be, I don't know, some We don't belong. We don't you be very long. We don't belong. <laughs> Yeah, I listen. You know, I did listen to some tracks today from Margin Magical because you know it's like I don't I don't like these songs and I skip them every time I listen to it. But I did listen to it today and it's like, man. Yeah, I guess I would agree with the end that the Sergeant Pepper one's worse. But that's like saying you know fucking uh, uh, open up and say uh, it's worse than than Girls Girls Girls. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's still shit. So. Uh, now it's time for Edwin to disagree with Ralph. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm, de- I'm gonna be the really the defender, the sole defender of Blue Jay Way because I actually love this song, and I am not a fan of Within You Without You. That's the song from Sgt. Pepper. I, I there is an Eastern vibe. Obviously, there's an Eastern vibe, but it's not just like uh, I don't know. There's a lot more going on with this song. It's trippy. I really dig this song. Uh, like you guys, George usually. It's my least favorite stuff, although I do love a couple. I would say this is probably my, actually, I would say this is my fourth favorite George Harrison song in the Beatles. Uh, uh, I love Savage Truffle and Long, Long, Long and Taxman. Taxman's fucking awesome. But this one, ah, oh, man, it's just so trippy and it's got that vibe. It's dark. This song's dark. Like, I don't know. To me, it's just dark and sinister sounding. It's creepy. I just, I like a lot of druggy trippy kind of sounding music to me it's very cinematic it's also there was an artist like in the 90s like tricky you know from act he was a part of a massive attack he did shit that sounded kind of like this to me to me it's really ahead of its time it's almost like like atmospheric ambient kind of track and it's cool it's just like a different moment like i wouldn't want like two songs like this on the album but it's like one song it gives you a different a different shade a different tone plus if you're into like the Paul's Dead shit, there's a lot of cool stuff here, man. On the headphones, if you're listening, because it's going backwards, you hear them saying, um, uh, please don't be long, backwards, you know what that is. It's Paul is bloody, 
Paul is very bloody. You can fucking hear it clear as day. It's there. I believe it. I don't think Paul's really dead, but I do think that while they were doing drugs, they were having a having a laugh about it and wanted people to read into their shit. Um, but yeah, so I just think it's a cool, dark, fucked up psychedelic song. I dig it. I dig it. I get it. I get why some people would just think it was kind of a drag. But to me, it's a cool drip. It's like a drag off a fucking monster joint. I, I love this song. I think it's great. So there you go. All right. Well, take the next one. Your mother should know. Uh, your mother should know. It's a nice little ditty. It's the weakest McCartney song on the album. Um... But, and it's one of the reasons why this version is better than the original EP. You know, the EP, the double EP version, this is the second song instead of Fool in the Hill. And to me, that's all wrong, you know? I mean, this is not a second song song. It's not, it's not, doesn't have that quality. But it's catchy. It's a catchy ditty, and the sequencing here is good. Like, after a song like Blue Jay Way, you kind of like hearing a song that's a little more normcore, you know? Like, this is just like a nice little ditty. You know, it's nice. And and considering what is about to come after, it's like, it's a nice little bridge. It's a nice little bridge between the two crazy psychedelic songs. And uh, so I like it. I'd say it's probably one of the weaker songs on the album. But again, I still like it. I mean, McCartney, this guy, he can't, it's almost like he, it's impossible for him to write something that's not catchy and you know enjoyable to listen to you know that's just it just comes so naturally to him he's an amazing songwriter and this sounds like something he would have wrote in like five minutes but you know a mccartney song written in five minutes you know most people can never write so that's what i think of that yeah i i love it um john hated it granny music uh yeah any song that i hear that sounds like this i hate but when mccartney does it it works you know, I, I just love this. And I love the, the little video the, the, from the movie when they're all, you know, with the toxins and walking out. Do it again. Da, 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 da. I love that shit. It's just, I don't know, man. The Beatles, to me, it just brings joy to my soul. And this is a good example of it. Hearing shit like this, it really, you know, it just makes me feel good, you know? I have, you know, my metal will make me feel bad and pissed. Then I have this balance, man. I, I think it's it's a gorgeous song. I don't think, as I think about it, I don't think Paul's ever done a bad song in the Beatles unless he was covering it. I love every Paul song there is. I, I, I don't know, maybe I have to think about that. But, you know, I love She's Leaving Home. I know he, that's his song, right? Is it that? No, yeah, yeah, that's all gone. Yeah. No, that's that's Paul McCartney's song. I mean, Lydon might have contributed to a lyric or something, but yeah, for the but, most but part, that's you Paul. hear John really high in the mix. Yeah. Why did she leave? Whatever that line is. Um, but um, I, I love it. I have nothing bad to say about this song or any McCartney original in the Beatles at all. I can't think of not one uh, Paul McCartney song I dislike that he did in the Beatles, where John had a lot to do with Revelation Number Nine. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that, Ian. Uh, your mother should know. Boy, you're right. This is some granny shit. This is like typical, the, the Paul kind of shit that would get on John's last nerve. 
and I love every fucking second of it. I'm going to sop this shit up with a biscuit and <laughs> ask for seconds. Uh, I love this fucking song. It, and it is. It's, it just, it's so corny, and it's so Paul. Um, you know, this is another one where he, he's talking about, uh, you know, bridging the gap between his generation and, and the older generation and saying, you know, if you give it a, you know, give your mom a chance, you know, your mom knows what the fuck you're going through. Your mom's been there. She's done shit, you know, you haven't even done. Uh, especially your mom, Ralph. And, uh, damn, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, mom joke. Reality uh, hurts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we got that low common denominator of humor here and we're damn proud of it. Uh, now, no, I have elementary high school. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fucking diva jokes. Uh, I love this fucking song. I, I really do, and I think it really picks the album up after Blue Jay Way, which, again, I don't hate as much as, you know, Ralph does, but I don't like it as much as, as Eduardo does. But, uh, man, th this just kicks it back up, puts it right into fucking Beatle mode, and it just makes me smile. And, and the same thing, I've never, ever seen... Uh, the movie Magical Mystery Tour. I've always heard so much bad shit about, but I've seen the clips and I know, you know, the part of this when they're in the tuxes and they're dancing and, you know, coming down the steps like it's some Busby Berkeley shit. Uh, I, and I love it. It's great. I mean, it's a great Beatles image. And I absolutely adore this song. You gotta but, watch that movie. I think you'd like it before we get into the, the, yeah. the big thing. Because uh, the thing too, like this is actually the last song in the movie. And right. in context, it's creepy. It's not as creepy out of the movie, but when you put it in a movie, it's almost like the fucking ballroom scene in The Shining. It's creepy right. in the movie. Oh no, 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 I definitely, I, I definitely need to watch it now. I'm waiting, because I know, I think they, they just put out a 4K of A Hard Day's Night and I need to get that, and I'm waiting for them, you know, because they're going to do it. They're going to put out the 4K of Help. They're going to put out the 4K of uh, Yellow Submarine and this. It's 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 going to happen because it's going to sell. Yeah, you know, and I'll check it out. It's just druggy shit. It doesn't have, like, a story yeah. that's cohesive, like, um, it's even less cohesive than Help, you know. But, yeah. it, but it's just cool. It's just a cool, trippy, you know, fucking hour to watch. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll like, but... Some yeah, some of, of the magician shit's kind of lame. Some, um, some of it's just way out there, you know. It's just yeah. You know, Paul uh, John Lennon had a dream that he was shoveling spaghetti on a fucking. Right. <laughs> oh, so let's throw that in there. It was just they were just winging it. But uh, uh, as high as a kite. Steven Spielberg was very influenced by this movie when he was uh, in college, I think, something like that. Yeah, yeah, in film school, he was very into it. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, no, when it comes out, I'll drop some acid, I'll watch it, and then That's Ralph the and I will talk about it. Hey, Ian, it's good yeah. drop acid. But even better, yeah. nothing is better ever to watch visually on acid than Yellow Submarine. Oh, oh, oh yes. That Been is there. the greatest thing to watch on acid. I've done I it too. I would say Pink Floyd The Wall, but the one thing I hate about Pink Floyd The Wall, the movie on acid, when you watch it on acid, that scene when he's trying to break the razor blade with his fingers... You know, I see. Yeah. That's fucked up on acid. It's like, oh man, stop. <laughs> the the last time I, I tried to watch the wall on acid, 
I, it was one of the rare times I had a bad trip, and I kept seeing Terrence's bald head poke out of everywhere in the movie. I was like, ah, eh, ruined it for sure, me. Sure, you're sure, or it wasn't some guy in front of you flashing his cock. <laughs> or it could have been some in an SUV, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, you but, know, uh, I, just to show you, you know, how credible I am to be on this podcast. <laughs> when The Wall was in the theater, me and my friend skipped school, took acid, and saw it in the theater. That's credibility, man. I got cred. That's got real cred. cred for the scumbag. <laughs> well, I talked about it. I, I talked about it on the show the first time I took acid. I left school because I took it at school, and then I went home and listened to The Wall, and I was scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I will totally. You know, watch you know this movie on acid and then review Flesh and Blood with Ralph. But this leads into the masterpiece that is I Am the Walrus. Holy fucking shit. I have no idea what in the fuck Lennon's talking about. Neither does he. Um, you know, as I was studying up on this song, he, he said he had gotten a letter from a fan who told him that a teacher at his old school... Uh, an English teacher was like taking Beatles songs and teaching that as literature and stuff and uh, bringing like what you could get out of you know literature from their songs and that amused Lennon he's like well, I'm gonna write him something that they really need to dissect and he did this but holy fuck what a song and, and talk about a headphone song I just don't think, am I the only one at the end? It sounds like we're saying, everybody's fucked up, fucked up, everybody's fucked up. I, I don't know. That's what I, I hear. Was, I always thought it was everybody smoke pot, smoke pot. That's yeah, what I heard. I, people always said it said that, especially if you play it backwards. Uh, yeah, or ha yeah, ha. Yeah, well, I got. Play it backwards, it's ha ha falls dead, ha ha falls dead. Yeah, well, um, maybe I just got a potty mouth. I hear everybody's fucked up. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, this is just four minutes and thirty-five seconds, and which at that time was a good length for a fucking single, yep. you know. Uh, but holy fuck, is this song amazing? And 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 again, you know, uh, yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But I get that same feeling I get when I listen to The Doors. I love The Doors, and I hate fucking poetry. I don't know what the fuck Jim Morrison is talking about, but when I hear his voice with Manzarek's keyboards and the rest of the band, it's like perf perfection to me. And that's how this song is. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I don't know who the walrus is. I don't know, you know, you know what is, what is Ringo the platypus. I have no fucking idea. The walrus is yeah, well, I didn't find that out to the White Album. <laughs> but uh, holy shit, is this just a, a musical masterpiece? I mean, I mean, take away the lyrics. They can be gibberish for whatever matter. Listen to the fucking music. Listen to what's going on. Listen to, you know, the violins, the tape manipulation, all the different shit that's going on. And and think about this. This, this was 1967, you know? Holy fuck. It's it's just incredible and still sounds just as vibrant and just as amazing today. I I mean, you know, show me anything released today that is this groundbreaking or, or has the musicality, you know, that's not a fucking, you know, a computer, you know? I mean, this is... Oh, my God. This shit takes uh, uh, modern, you know, millennials, man. I know there's talent. 
Uh, holy fucking shit. It's just a fucking masterpiece. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah, he was on such a roll, like, uh, Tomorrow Never Knows, Day in a Life, then this. It's all songs that were like, this is this this shit's an invention. What the fuck sounded like this? This was all original. I mean, Paul, even Eleanor Rigby, where Paul goes really off base, it's still a classical piece, you know? It's something we've heard before. Not, you know, not that song, but, you know, uh, the classical music sounds like this. What the fuck sounds like I am a walrus? You know, and I'm not, and, and <laughs> lyrics, you know, but without the lyrics, it's just a weird ass song. But you add those lyrics, it, it gives it like another dementia that makes it that much better. And hands down the best scene in Magical Mystery Tours when they do this song, you know, which I know you haven't seen the movie, Ian, but I know you've seen that video. It's fucking genius. Right, right. Oh, yeah. It's so cool, you know. Uh, John has like an egghead and, and all those people walking away and they're all wearing like a big connecting sheet. <laughs> it's like, and then there's a little thing on the corner with the fat lady eating and the close-up of old people. It's like, what the fuck? It just makes no sense, but it makes sense. It, I know that doesn't make sense, but this is like... Uh, a planet of its own. This is, this is uh, new, new music. I mean, you listen to it now, and it still doesn't sound like anything. I don't think anybody's ever done "I Am the Walrus" sounding song ever since then. But then again, there's a lot of avant-garde shit, and you can probably classify this as avant-garde, which I hate avant-garde shit, but I love "I'm the Walrus." And here, the funny thing is, this is. The Tomorrow Never Knows on Revolver, Day in a Life on Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour has two of these fucking songs that John brought to the table. We haven't got yep. into the next one yet. That's another game-changing original sounding song. But uh, I, I, I would go as far to say this is my favorite song off the album, I'm the Wallace. But man, there's some that are pretty close, but this is my favorite song. And I would have to put in my favorite top five all-time favorite Beatles song, John Lennon's song. It'll probably be number three, right behind "In My Life," "Day in a Life," and and "I Am the Walrus" would be my. And, oh man, I don't know, man. I'm the Walrus. All right, I'm the Walrus under "I'm So Tired," and the two above it. Uh, it'd be in my top four. Love it. What do you think, there, Eddie? Well, it's a goddamn masterpiece, obviously. It's I Am The Walrus, one of the greatest pieces of art in the 20th century, in my opinion. It's it's my favorite song on the album. So, you know, like I said, John has the edge on this album. Uh, it's, you know, all the things you guys said. This thing, it's revolution. It would be revolutionary now. This is, the, this is a song that gets covered a lot by rock bands. And you know what? It's like, no matter, even if I like the band, it's just like, guys, don't try. Well, why well, this song? Yeah. It's never going to be as good. I hate the Oasis cover. Yeah, and that's the thing. I love Oasis. And, you know, Liam, like, he gets the, the tone right in the singing. But, man, what, you're just not going to come close to this music. Why why try? You're just never going to, you know, do do like, you know, and my you know, bird and your bird can sing or something like that. Like that, I could see Oasis doing a good version of her. Tax man, you know. But don't do I Am The Wars. You know, I Am The Wars was done by perfection in 1967 by the Beatles. You can't do it. It's a studio creation. The Beatles themselves, 
if they played it live, it would probably suck. But it is pure studio song. It's magic. And this is a thing, too. It's like, it is avant-garde, but John Lennon is so tuneful. Nick, everyone always talks about McCartney's, you know, in terms of the melodies and the tunefulness. But, you know, Lennon was no slouch. This shit's catchy. And that's the thing. It's weird, but really hooky at the same time. You know, and that's like the little sound effects oohs, and all that stuff. They're like they're turning avant garde music and actually making it work as a catchy pop rock song. That's the real genius. That's what makes it the Beatles. You know, if someone just made some weird sounds for four minutes, we wouldn't be talking about it in 2022. You know, uh, you're right. When you hear Oasis cover this, you know, they get revealed as the Stone Roses cover band that they are. Yeah, it's just like, and that's, you hey, and I like the Stone Roses and I love Oasis, but it's just like, know your limitations. You're not doing Eye in the Wars. That's not your Beatles that, you know, that you're biting from. And it just, yeah, I mean, I've never heard a cover of this I've liked. I mean, Oingo Boingo did a shitty version of it. I don't know. A lot of bands try to do this song, and it's just like, you can't. And Lennon's delivery, regardless of what the, the lyrics that, his absurd lyrics for the song, he delivers them with so much bite so much like pre pre johnny rotten kind of punk edge to his voice that every lyric is in, it has an element of menace and revolutionary you know like menace to it you know like there's an edge to it, it sounds revolutionary you know yeah. not just musically but he sounds he sounds angry you know and that's the thing. it's it's rocking and angry and there's all these crazy sound effects um just not to be too eggheady but uh, I do know there is a little like some of the inspiration for it. It comes from the Warris and the Carpenter, which uh-huh. is the poem from Alice in the Looking Glass. John Lennon was obsessed with Lewis Carroll, especially during this period. Like Lewis Carroll is one of the figures on the Sgt. Pepper cover and Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds has references to it. And this even in the video in the movie when they do the song, all those people in the white sheet, it's because the Warris and the Carpenter, if you recall that uh, poem that's in... Um, and Alice in Wonderland, they're leading the oysters, like they're tricking the oysters and then eating the oysters. So they're kind of representing the oysters in that thing. So this, in a lot of ways, I feel like that's kind of, if there's any meaning of the song, it's kind of like John Lennon is, even though he says the Wars is Paul, uh, he really is the Wars. He's actually in the outfit, you know, when they did the, the thing, uh, the video for Mystery Tour. But it's like him taking all the critics and saying, okay, like what Ralph was saying, like he's like saying, he's like fucking with the critics saying like, okay, you think, you think we're stu- coming up with some cryptic shit, some, you know, shit you want to interpret? Well, try this one, you know, on for size, you know, get a, you know, and it's like, he's like challenging them. And at the core, it's just like kind of a snotty joke. It's just kind of a snotty joke, the song, but it's like he he's using these literary illusions. He's using references to Edgar Allan Poe and Lewis Carroll and all this stuff. Even at the end with the fade out, the uh, you you hear like something from a TV uh, drama being played, especially on headphones. You'll hear it. It's actually a BBC broadcast of King Lear. Shakespeare's King Lear is what you hear at the end during the fade out. So all this, it's all if you notice, it's all literary. You know, Lewis Carroll, Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. It's all him saying like to the intelligentsia. Try this out. Try this out for size. Try to figure this out, and just like in like the wars, really tricking them, leading them to just be devoured. That's what I think, and that's what the the dark kind of menace of the song. It's that it's like a troll. He's like trolling everyone with his fucking acid drenched genius. 
And it's one of the greatest things that John Lennon ever did. And he once said, he complained, he said, oh, people are going to remember Paul songs more because you could play Yesterday on a Violin and I and the Wars on a Violin doesn't sound that good. <laughs> but, you know, this is the shit. This is the shit that got, like, teenagers into the Beatles. This is the shit that got me listening to the Beatles, you know, when I was a teenager because it was so fucking badass and awesome. And it's still just as badass, revolutionary, and amazing to this day. One of the greatest songs ever written. And John Lennon could have stopped after this. And he didn't. He did a lot of great songs afterwards. But he could have stopped here and it would have been, like, mic drop. Amazing. Amazing song. And also, no I Am The Walrus, no Ric Flair. Think of it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and let this be a lesson to other bands, you know. Leave the Beatles covers to fucking Nikki Six. At least he knew what lane to stay in. <laughs> Molly Crew didn't try this shit. All right, well, now we're going to flip the record over. And uh, I, I remember the first time I flipped this fucking record over. Uh, yeah. A moment of silence, and all I heard was Groucho going. And another thing, day at the races, not at the opera. That was me, not that <laughs> cocksucker, Freddie Mercury. And that's when I first found out Freddie Mercury was gay. Was from Groucho. He was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And he, he said it didn't stop there. He, he said that bass player is a little fruity too. He goes, "Look at that haircut." Uh, and he was right. Yeah, you, not- you think about it, man. Groucho really earned his name. When he was jonesing for coke. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, now we go to the the single side, and we go to Hello, Goodbye. And this is another one. It, Paul through and through. But I do hear a little bit of Lennon in this one. Uh, I absolutely love this song. Kind of like silly lyrically, but there's just something that... I don't know kicks, and I always think of the fucking video for this, and them in the Sergeant Pepper outfits, and it, and it also reminds me of the Beatles cartoon that I used to watch like crazy. I love the Beatles cartoon. In fact, uh, I sent it to Jimmy James Schwartz for his little son, because uh, he was playing the Beatles, and uh, I downloaded all the episodes and put them on a little turtle flash drive. And I sent it to him in the mail. Like, here, you know, let your boy, you know, you can plug in the DVD player and watch it. Uh, just great memories of this song. Uh, this air of the Beatles, this look of the Beatles. I love Hello, Goodbye. I think it's great. What do you think, Eduardo? Uh, great song. I like it. I kind of like to say the, the lyrics is very simple and silly. It's funny because, you know, this was the double A side with, I am the Wars. It was hell. The single was "Hello Goodbye" and "I am the Wars," and they both, just like a lot of these great Lennon McCartney singles, uh, like um, "Paperback Writer Rain," "Strawberry Fields," "Penny Lane," "Hey Jude," Revo- you know, "Revolution," like they perfectly represent John and Paul. And whereas, like "I am the Wars" is so complicated and cryptic lyrically, this is the opposite. It's "Hello Goodbye." You know, it doesn't it doesn't get simpler. It's very very simple, almost childlike, but. Musically, there's just it's just pure ear candy. That's the thing. It's a silly song, but it's it is pure McCartney. To me, this is actually a song that kind of 
foreshadows Wings a bit. Like, yeah, I mean, it has the Beatles production, but like, to me, if you listen to this composition, this could have been on like Wings, you know, at the speed of sound, like with Let Him In and stuff like that. Like, it has that kind of just whimsical corniness to it, but yet there's just something so fun about it, and you just love listening to it. I love the George Harrison's guitar playing too, another cool coda. McCartney would always throw in these cool codas at the end of the song to give it a little bit of punch. And, and it's punchy too, that's the thing too. Even though it's really poppy, the way the Paul, you know, the Beatles just sing, they, it just pops, you know. This is you know, top-notch stuff. It's almost like Lennon McCartney, like the greatest songwriters of the 20th century or something. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a great song. And not even one of my favorites on the album, but it's a great, it's a great little ditty. Yeah, um, this will be my favorite McCartney tune out here. I love this song. I actually remember this song before the Beatles broke up. Because I do remember vividly. I remember Ticket to Ride. I remember, um, oh, what's that song on For Sale? Um, Eight Days a Week. Yeah. And I remember what Ian brought up. I remember watching the Beatles cartoons when they were new. Damn, and I'm still alive, bro. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, Hello, Goodbyes. Man, what a song. And yeah, what Ian brought up, the fucking video. They're all dressed in their Sgt. Pepper outfits, and it's just so cool how John Lennon does his little Elvis imitation during it. It's just a fun song. It's so um, catchy, and it's, it's a bummer that this is a song that McCartney never, ever played live when I saw him, where he would throw out a lot of Beatles. Out. Damn, I even saw him do I'm Looking Through You, but he's never done El well, I'm Looking Through You I love. But I'm just saying, I mean... This is more popular than I'm looking through you. Yeah, it's surprising because it sounds like it could, like I said, flow really well with his solo stuff. And I'm yeah. surprised he doesn't. It's, I've never seen him play this live, but yeah, it's a great song. It really takes me back to Terrytown, New York, when I was like five years old. They broke up when I was five. So, you know, I remember, man. I remember as a little kid sitting down and watching those little Beatle cartoons and shit all the fucking time. And I remember when they went away for decades and empty and brought it back. I'm very happy about that. But I mm -hmm. love Hello Goodbye is an awesome song. All right. Uh, I, did everybody talk about Hello Goodbye? Yep. Yes, sir. All right. Strawberry Feels Forever. This is uh, uh, what I was saying about I Am The Walrus. This is another game-changing, weird fucking song that doesn't sound like anything and it really did shock the people. And this, this is another thing that... This is the first thing that the people saw of the Beatles before Sgt. Pepper came out. They stopped touring. Right. Then all of a sudden, they're all wearing mustaches. And I remember seeing... Uh, it was touched upon uh, Eddie's podcast. That, that Dick Clark show when they interview the audience. And all the chicks are horrified with their mustaches and shit. But what a song, man. What an amazing... You know, original. This is why the Beatles are the greatest, man. So, Strawberry Fields Forever is game-changing. It show this would have fit perfectly on Sgt. Pepper. Take that goddamn George Harrison song out and put this, and it'd be for me the perfect album. Uh, I love Strawberry Fields Forever, and you know it is monumental uh, for a reason. You know, all songs. If you really think about it, dude. Like, all the most important songs that, you know, that very healthy, they're all good, which is weird, you know? But this is one of those, man. And yeah, you know, when you think of John Lennon, you think of Strawberry Field. You know, they, they 
they added that place on Central Park that I went to, uh, the Sergeant uh, Strawberry Fields thing. And I know it's part of uh, Liverpool. It wasn't in Liverpool, right? Strawberry Fields was in Liverpool, right? Yeah, the orphanage. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So. yeah. yeah. Uh, I love it. I love this song a lot. It's just fucking, this is why, you know, I, what Ian said earlier, I got to agree, man. Black Sabbath to me is the greatest, my favorite band of all time, but the Beatles are the best, man. Because of shit like this. Absolutely love it. All right, Ian. What do you think is going to be Well, this is where the album takes a nosedive for me. I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, fucking, it's, it's fucking Strawberry Fields, you know? And it, it's so funny. Uh, I got a co-worker, good friend of mine. Uh, he's black, but I tell him every day he's white. Uh you know, and he's playing different shit like Elton John. He's like, yeah, this Elton John shit's cool. I was like, yeah, he's got some great songs. He's like, yeah, you like the Beatles too, don't you? I was like, yeah. And he goes, he goes, and he's sitting at the computer playing stuff on YouTube. He goes, he goes, this is a good goddamn Beatles song. And he played Strawberry Fields, you know, and it just, it just shows you. It doesn't matter, you know, how you grew up, what color you are, nationality. A good song just transcends. It doesn't matter who you are, what you, I mean, it just, it touches you and it reaches you and that's you know strawberry fields now it's one of those i i would never just play this song i'm only going to hear this song if i'm playing this album because i've heard it so much but listening to it today it's just i couldn't wait for it to come on and when it did i mean just how beautiful it is how lush it is uh just you know hearing it thinking about what it what it would take to create this before there was a strawberry fields. You know what I mean? I mean, there, there's nobody that John Lennon's ripping off here. This is pure. What's in his heart. What's in his soul. What's in his talent. And, and, and not to take anything away from, you know, the rest of the Beatles or, or George Martin, because they all did this together, but Holy fuck. And then it, it really blew my mind that this and Penny Lane, uh, you know, were released as a single and before Sergeant Pepper, you know, I didn't know that before today, or if I did, I forgot it, yeah. you know, but it's yeah, like, they, they lead shit. off the, the blue album. That's the first two songs on that compilation because it's yeah. chronological. Yeah. And, and I didn't, like I said, I, I know my mom had it. On vinyl, but when I started buying shit, I was like, you know, I'm gonna buy the out. You know, greatest hits is for posers. You know, I, I, I mean, and I still feel that way to a certain degree. But I'll pick up a greatest hits if there's, you know, like bonus shit or extra shit. You know, but I, you know, I want to hear the albums and shit. But with somebody like the Beatles, you had to. You know, I remember, I, you know, I had to get uh, Pat uh, Past Masters Volume Two to get like Paperback Writer and all kinds of other shit that I loved. Yep, and and hell, I still I know Ralph hates the song, but I fucking love you know my name, love the number. I love that fucking song. Yeah, I dig it. You too. know, but but shit like that, you know, you, you know, you had to buy shit like that. Yeah, uh, but it, it is. I mean, it's just timeless. I mean, is you know one of the only ways I can describe it. It's just it still sounds revolutionary. And that and that that's what's awesome. There's still it's still like nothing else sounds 
like Strawberry Fields, you know, or I'm the Walrus. So there's there's so much Beatles stuff. There's nothing that's come out now that has taken music farther, you know, in my opinion. And we all know that that's the one that counts. <laughs> I mean, they set the bar way too high. Yeah, they did, and it still hasn't been reached. And think about how long ago the fucking Beatles were, you know, two and years it's ago. over yeah. half a century. I don't think it's, it's possible. It's it's a combination of what the technology was and who the people were and what society was at that time. You know, uh, so. I, 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 I don't I, I agree and I disagree with that. It, it's out there. It's out there. There's always room for something new. It just yeah, hasn't it, happened yet. I don't think it, it don't be something new, but I don't think but it won't be like maybe even music or the Beatles. It'd be like, you know, like TikTok or whatever. You yeah, know, it'll it, be just a different well, thing. Well, I, I think unfortunately, uh you know, what's what's stalling the, the you know, the next generation from doing something like this is technology. Yeah. And laziness. I mean you got people, you know, people don't even learn to play instruments anymore because you don't have to with a computer you know yeah there's too well, much don't... it's the same with special effects in my opinions and i th i bet you you guys agree with this i, I oh, think yeah. special effects peaked in the late 70s early 80s i still don't think uh special effects i don't give a shit look better than empire strikes back or blade runner to me oh. like the first alien there's something really visceral about the effects that looks real the shit that that, that they're doing and oh, the way yeah. that they're doing it with models and matte paintings and blue screens, the kind of shit that yeah. they were doing that now people lazily just drop you in and it looks like a fucking video game now. Well, oh, oh, I, the same thing, same thing. Yeah, I, I watched a movie the other night and I don't ask me why. I got so much great shit I could watch, but I just felt like something that I could put on and, and ignore yet watch at the same time. I watched Moonfall. You know, just because I wanted to see if it was as bad as what everybody said. It's a new Roland Emmerich movie, yeah, and it, 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 it's all it's all CGI. And I was just laughing at how horrible it was, you know, compared to practical effects that you would see. And it's just, it's the same thing with music. The more they move away from real instruments, uh, the longer it's going to take people to take music to the next fucking level. It, it's I mean, also look, look up, yeah. Look how long the guitar was around, you know, yep. before Jimi Hendrix. But well, look what he, he he did with it. And there's somebody else who could do that. There, there's other people who can do some great shit with with what we have now. But they're not going to get there because they, they don't have to work for it anymore. No one has to work on anything. This is thing too. This is song's a perfect song to have this conversation about because it's not. It's a the instrumentation and that yeah, people are playing their own instruments. But it's also the fact that they have to. They gotta think on their feet. They gotta make shit up. They actually, it's again, kind of like George Lucas in like, you know, in his you know, special effects people when they were doing the first Star Wars, they had to invent shit just to make the shit be, you know, to do the stuff they wanted to do. Like, so they had to, you know, they had to all be like inventors, you know? They, the Strawberry Fields Forever, the kind of things that they're doing with George Martin, they're literally making up as they go along. They're inventing new things. You know, the A-Track was a brand new thing. And, like, the song is split, and there's two versions. I don't know if you know this. They recorded two takes of it. It's actually two takes split together. And the second take, they re realized it, had a, it was going at a different speed. 
it was not the same speed, so the notes weren't right. So they decided, how about we just slow down the pitch of the second one and then splice them together with a sound effect so no one notices. You know, if you kind of listen to it knowing it, you could kind of hear it, but you never would have noticed it otherwise. And in itself, it just makes it trippier and cooler. And it's that kind of thinking, that kind of scrappy, like, hey, let's let's make up some shit so we can do this. Like John Lennon just has this imagination and he's like got, you know, McCartney and George Martin to help him kind of visualize his imagination. And they're just making shit up as they go along. There's invention. They can't just sit back and push a button that makes a sound for them. They have to actually go and drag out a harpsichord and put a weird effect on it and do all this kind of crazy shit that just no one would do that anymore. No one would take the time to invent shit anymore. While we're while we're so fucked up right now is you know look at the the most dominant form of music in the last thirty years is rap hip hop yeah which in in and of itself and I'm not talking about you know you know early hip hop did and and rap did have some very good commentary uh, you know social political shit of what it was talking about what it was saying I I, I won't undermine that but as a form of music. You're not even singing, you're fucking talking, and then what you're doing is you're not even creating a new beat. You're stealing a beat that's already proven. But if you look at old school rap, it's a thousand times more inventive and more experimental than what we have now. So when when your most dominant form of music is something that's borderline retarded to begin with, and now it's even easier than it was before, and you don't even have like the lyrical content to back it up. Oh, we're we're, we're fucked. Yeah, we're uh, fucked you know, out. yeah. The part of the problem was like in, in the '90s hip hop, you did have some very innovative sonic hip hop, like the Bomb Squad stuff for Public Enemy and and RZA with the Wu Tang, and they they were layering sounds and doing cool shit. But then look at the stuff that got most popular. You know, Dr. Dre just playing an old P-Funk song and rapping over it. You got Jay-Z just doing this, and P. Diddy then took it to the next level where literally he's just playing old songs and not even rapping that good over it, you know? Like, it got right. to a point where, and that stuff sold so much more. Like, P. Diddy sold so much more than Public Enemy. So people were like, why try yeah. so hard? Why try yeah. so hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you don't have to. You can download a program now that will put all the beats together and do all this, and it's the same with, you know, uh, you know, rock music and shit too. It's there's, it's just ripping off the same old shit to a click track and overproduced and, you know, don't matter if you can't sing, we're just gonna triple track it and we're gonna do this and auto tune and it's gonna take getting back to almost what the Beatles did. I mean, they took primitive shit and invented, you know, took it to the next level. Well, you have to get back to that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, I hate to interrupt, but I got another promo to do make money. <laughs> okay, do it. This this uh, concludes uh, Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> Boy. It's just true, though. This is science. It's true that, come on, everyone knows. Everyone. And, uh, Even the kids know that the Beatles are better than fucking you know ed sheeran or whatever shit people listen to now <laughs> come on no man that's not true because uh my sponsor is the brand new kanye west album <laughs> send that check my friend word 
<laughs> anyway, I, I guess I'll, I'll just, I don't think I, well, I, I kind of started talking about Strawberry Fields and then me and Ian went off there. But yeah, uh, but that's what people want. At least the RMCP Army wants to hear, I think. Uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the most innovative songs of all time. We already said all this shit. And also a personal song, you know, about childhood. You know? And I agree. I think we all agree that, it sh I mean, I know the Beatles did this British thing. The Stones did it too, where they didn't put their singles on the albums. I don't know. I feel like the albums would have been even better if these songs were on it. Like, obviously, it's on this album. It made this an album, which is great. But I think Sgt. Pepper would have been a lot better with Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on it. Definitely but, were a couple of songs that could have been dropped. George Martin said that in an interview. I, I do like and respect, though, that you had such an overabundance of creativity that they're like, we don't, we don't have time to write 10 more songs. This shit's so good, we got to put it out now and i know that there's been bands talking about that over the last you know probably 10 to 15 years because record sales are so down and everything that you know we'll just put out some singles but then again if if that's the route you're gonna go your singles have to be this fucking good <laughs> you know you can't just you know it can't be just like some okay we wrote this in 10 minutes you can't write in 10 minutes what the beatles can yeah, and that's the thing. It's kind of forgotten now. Everyone talks about Sgt. Pepper, but as Ralph brought up, and as you just learned today, maybe, Ian, like Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, that was like, in, imagine hearing that at the beginning of 67. I think it was February of 67, a couple months before Sgt. Pepper came out. I mean, that's that single drops. It's like revolutionary, like right there. It's like a mini Sergeant Pepper. Oh right yeah, there. And, and and right after that, they're playing Hermits, Hermits, and shit like that. Yeah. You know, and then you hear this shit, like what the fuck? And the image, and you know? but you know, but they kept doing that, and they, you know, they were that was the evolution. Like you had the Eleanor Rigby Yellow Submarine single, you had like Rain Paperback Rider, then you had this, and like that's the thing, and then you know, Hello Goodbye, I Am the War. It's like. They had these really, like the singles themselves. I mean, Hey Jude Revolution, I think is one of the great singles of all time, you know? And so, and the Stones were doing that too, you know? Jumpin' Jack Flash, Let's Spend the Night Together. There were all these just really amazing singles. So it just like, just think about that time period. Just like, you got a couple months, you got, ooh, start, the Beatles give you Strawberry Fields Forever. Like that's, you play the single and then you're getting a whole album of new shit that you didn't even hear before. You know, it's just so generous too. You know, you got so much fucking music at this time, you know? And all right, all right. Well, go on to Penny Lane before I run out of beer. <laughs> Penny Lane, well, Penny Lane's the flip side, kind of like that classic Lennon-McCartney dichotomy, great ditty. I, it's probably, my, I'd say it's my second favorite McCartney song on it. It's just so tuneful. It, it sounds like, yeah, it would have fit right on Sgt. Pepper with, like, lovely read and stuff. But, you know, but it's great here, too. And that chorus with the horns, the flugel horn, which is the twist of the horns. But, you know, and normally I don't like horns, let alone twee, Britishy sounding horns. But it works here. It works for the song. I like it. And there's a little touch of weirdness with the lyrics when he says the fireman, like, rushes in. And it's, like... Um, so, something strange i forget the exact lyric but you know what i mean like there's this one discord lyric where it makes you feel like maybe things aren't quite quite as rosy on penny lane as paul's making out to be like there's a little touch of darkness but it's very very little <laughs> but for the most part it's just optimistic and nostalgic and ear candy like a lot of mccartney stuff yeah ear candy perfect perfect little pop rock song 
it's not as revolutionary, obviously, as Strawberry Fields Forever, but it's a perfect complement to it. And man, what an amazing single this was. And it flows great because all these songs, obviously, they came out in 67, were recorded in 67. So it all flows like an album. We wouldn't know they weren't all recorded at the same time if we didn't know, you know, in my opinion. So that's what I think of Penny Lane. Yeah. Ralph, I think this is where you poo-poo. <laughs> oh, no, actually, I don't. But this is oh. where I stop. Okay. Uh, I love this song. Uh, it got it got a lot of controversy when it came out because it was number two, the first time the Beatles never hit the number one on a, on a single, and the British press went crazy over it. The Beatles failed. They went even more crazier over, you know, the movie Magical Mystery Tour because it was released on Boxing Day and the ratings weren't that good. But Penny Lane is awesome. And again, like uh, what I was saying about your mother should know. It's like anybody else does music like this, it would suck. Somehow or another, when Paul McCartney was in Beatles mode, he could bring in elements of songs I don't like. As you know, I hate the horns, but here they're fine. They, they, they add to it to me. Uh, I think it, it enhances this, this, this song, uh, the horns on this. And the horns on uh, on, on Fool on the Hill as well. Or What were they? Flutes? Whatever the fuck it was. Um, but um, I love Penny Lane. And I would continue going... But I don't want Ian to run out of beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do. I love Penny Lane. It would probably be my least favorite McCartney track on here, but I still love it. Uh, I was really surprised, though. I thought this was going to be one, Ralph, you were going to shit on you know, because of the abundance of horns on this. Uh, but I, I love it. it, it it's bright and, and cheery. Uh but again, this is one I wouldn't play if I wasn't listening to this. That's the only time I would go to this. But I do love it. But then we'll go into a song that I really, really fucking love. And I even yelled at Ralph because <laughs> he <laughs> told me, he goes, uh, we'll, we'll do the show, but it'll have to be a, little, you know, be a little bit after 7. So I figured 7.30. Well, 7.15 comes, and I'm listening to this for the third time. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I hear that ding dong, ding dong, you know, Skype shit come out. I'm like, oh, I'm right in the middle of fucking baby, you're a rich man for the fifth fucking time. Because <laughs> I, I repeated this like a couple times. Like, God damn, do I love this fucking song. And uh, I was so happy to find out today it was recorded on my birthday. I mean, I wasn't born yet, but it was recorded on May 11th, 1967. And I think that's awesome. I love this fucking track. And it's one I don't think gets an, a lot of attention. I never, ever heard this shit on the radio. In fact, the most attention I think this ever got is people who know the Fat Boys cover of it. You know, and that it was used over the credits of uh, the, the social network. But I absolutely love Baby, You're a Rich Man. And to me, it's, it's kind of odd because... To me, it sounds like a McCartney song. Uh, there's a lot of it that reminds me of McCartney songs. But uh, but it, it, it's a Lennon, and I love what he's talking about. And when you read the history of the song, you know, he wrote it after going to this event. And at the time, hippies were calling themselves the beautiful people and stuff. And uh, Oh, God. This is just a... Uh, talk about a... A killer album track that a lot of people don't talk about. One of my 
definite, probably, oh, God, it's hard. There's so many good songs in this, but nah, fuck it. I'll say my, my top five on this album. I love Baby, You're a Rich Man. What do you think, Eduardo? Um, definitely in your camp, Ian, here. Uh, I love this song. It's, I'd say, my third favorite song on the album, uh, After I Am The War, Strawberry Fields. And you know what? I probably listen to it more because it's not as overplayed as those songs. It's the Dark Horse, you know, on the album. No, no one really talks about this, but it's an amazing song. I mean, I love it. To me, it's it's that bass. You know, McCartney's bass is always great. The groove, the the sound, uh, the the beautiful harmonies, and that's it. Yeah, it sounds to me. I don't know too much about the origin of it, but this would sounds like something that Lennon and McCartney maybe worked on together. I don't know. It just sounds like Lennon McCartney. The, they harmonize. Both their vocals are pretty prominent during the chorus. And they sound great. I love the harmonies. Whenever you hear Lennon McCartney's voices at the same time, and they're both belting it out. And that's the thing too. too this sounds like a song that I could tell Cheap Trick probably would have liked a lot. You know, it sounds like a kind of Beatles song they would dig because it just has that punch. Uh, that chorus, you know, is just really punchy and it's kind of power pop and mm. you know, and it's kind of sardonic and you know just everything i love about you know beatles you know mid 60s or late 60s beatles it's a great song it's one of my favorite beatles songs and yeah I, i'm so I'm a, I'm a little sad that ralph hates it but you know he got at least one of you liked it <laughs> yeah well um you both of you are saying well this ain't a song not a lot of people don't talk about well now i gotta talk about it that's cool man <laughs> Um, no, never liked this one. This one is, I would say, like, like I said, I don't like four songs on this album. If I had to pick the best out of the four, I guess it would be this one. Because of the baby or rich man, too. I mean, that's not bad. Not great, but man, what the hell are they doing in the beginning of that song when it goes, it sounds like they put a finger up a gazelle's ass, right? <laughs> They, you know they what might song, have. sound I'm uh, talking about? Yeah, I know that, that one. Uh, uh, Gazelle, is that the chick married to Tom Brady? Yes. Okay, I, right on. I already know who Tom Brady is, but I agree. Um. <laughs> anyway, is Tom Brady the guy that got shot in the head when Reagan got shot? No, he was a uh, quarterback for the Patriots in the and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, dude, I, I I don't watch football. I listen to my Chemical Romance. <laughs> that's okay, just, bye. That's just too manly for me, man. Uh, but no, and how does it feel to be? I don't like it, man. I don't like the verses. I don't like the vocals. I think it's a boring, weird, not my thing song. Um, and I feel the same way, even worse about the last one, which is a very popular one. All you need is love. I never like this song. This is way too hippy dippy for me. And, you know, I, I mean, I like the message, bring love to the world, you know, and stuff, you know, the message is fine. But the song itself is just too, and this is a Lennon song, right? Yeah, it sounds like predominantly, I think it's Lennon, but it does sound like one where maybe McCartney helped a little bit. It, it, it does have more of a, of a McCartney vibe yeah. overall with the message than, you know, than John, but... I don't know. And then it's easy. Dun, dun. I mean, I, I get it. It's a happy song. It's, that's what I love about the Beatles. They make me happy. And this is a happy song that does not make me happy. I just don't like it, man. I think it's... I don't care for it. I just think after Penny Lane, this shit just crash and burns for me. 
But now it's time for Ian and Owen to disagree with us. <laughs> well, I, I'll say this. I'm kind of, uh, you know, not in the same ballpark, but close with this one. Uh, it's just, I've heard it so much. It's not one of my favorites. Uh, the funny thing is when they did this live, you know, and it, and it was recorded and everything, and they did it, you know, live on TV and shit. Uh, Paul wanted to do Fool on the Hill. And the rest of the band's like, nah, we're going to do All You Need Is Love. And they, they thought it was just, you know, it was a better message of what they wanted to send out and everything. But, uh, no, nah, I, I, I mean, I like it. I know it's better than my opinion of it. I know it's a good song. I know it's classic. But I'm kind of in the same boat as, as you with it, Ralph. It's just, it's never been one of my favorites. Uh, but I, I, I mean the importance of it the the event that it was i mean fuck you got uh mick jagger keith richards eric clapton marianne faithful jane asher patty boyd keith moon graham nash Ian you know, and others all yeah groucho mark yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i i my name was there but it was really groucho who was there i just kind of <laughs> people assume because we hung out so much uh but uh no, I, I, I can do without it. And again, I would never, ever listen to this song if I'm not listening to this album. But, you know, if I'm listening to it, I'm, I'm going to let it play, you know. But no, it, it, it's not my favorite. But I, I do value the importance of it. So that's what I got to say. What, what do you think there, Eduardo? Well, uh, see, uh, Ralph, we're agreeing with you more on this one than you might have thought. Uh, it's my least favorite song on the album. Uh, I... I will say this, for years, like Ralph, for years, I actually hated this song. This was one of my least favorite Beatles songs. I said, I made a Beatles, you know, video on YouTube of Rankarama, and I said, and this was, a, I think, like, two years ago I made that video, uh, I said it was one of my least favorite Beatles songs then. It was always way too hippy-dippy for me. It sounded like a Disney song. I don't like that shit. Like I said that in the Sgt. Pepper video, that I don't like uh, Disney shit. But... I don't know. I was listening. Can to you feel the love tonight? Yeah, I hate that. I hate that shit. And I don't like hippy dippy stuff. But yeah, at the time, it was a moment. It was a summer of love. It was the Beatles' big, hey, we're you know, summer of love moment. It meant a lot. And but still too hippy dippy for me. I like the fact that it was the last song because if your least favorite song on an album is the last song, that's very convenient. You can just stop. I could stop "Baby I'm a Rich Man," which is a cooler way to end the album, in my opinion. But. You know, I got to tell you, I was listening to it on headphones today, and it's still my least favorite song, but I did appreciate it a little bit more today. It is a really lovely melody. I'll say, I don't want to sound like, you know, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a lovely melody. It's a lovely melody, you know, but it's the fucking Beatles. So, yeah, lovely melodies all the time, but it's very pretty. I do like the kind of drunken swagger of the horns. Like, it, it has a druggy undercurrent to it. You know, that's the thing. It's a pretty song. But there is kind of, when you, especially when you hear it in headphones, there is kind of a druggy element to it. It's a little trippy, and it's a little swaggering. It also reminds me, I like a actually a Burke Backrack song much better, and this is um, from 65, uh, What the World Needs Now. Uh, oh, I love that song. I love that song, and to me that's like, a lot of people don't talk about that song, but that's kind of innovative because that was from, and I looked it up, it's like, that's from 1965, that song. So he kind of did a song that was kind of like this song back in 1965, which I think was better. But 
this is like the hippies doing a song like that. Like, let's take this like love song, like from uh, this all, all the you know like what the world needs now is love, but we'll sprinkle a little bit of drugginess to it. And you know, I like it. I like it. You know, definitely my <laughs> least favorite. But yeah, See, that's what funny. You know, Ralph's like half a fig. Because he likes uh, my chemical romance, but uh, you know, I, I, I like Burt Backrack and Carol Bayer Sanger songs. Yeah, I'm saying, man, I love that shit. I like that Vegas stuff. So, that's, that's why I like the soft trade better than because hey, uh, I like Vegas you, stuff. You like Motley Crue without you, right there. That right there. Yeah, right there with me, bro. Right there. Me, me and Ralph are on two sides of the same dick, playing that shit like a harmonica. <laughs> we all like stuff that sucks sometimes. <laughs> We're on a big veiny cock, just fucking humming a tune. I tell you, all you need is love is definitely better in time for change. Which obviously was Motley Crue's attempt at all you need is love. <laughs> oh man, man. <laughs> we are the world. Uh, we are the world. We are you, the world. You noticed after uh, time for change came out, the Gulf War broke out. <laughs> but the end of uh, communism, didn't the fall of the Soviet Union is because of that song, isn't it? Yeah, and then yeah. somebody somebody played it again, and they went into fucking uh, Ukraine, uh, Croatia, <laughs> Ukraine, wherever the fuck they're at now. Oh uh, uh, well, well, that that kids is our politically correct review <laughs> of the Beatles' magical mystery tour, released November twenty seventh, nineteen seventy six, in the U.S. as an LP. <laughs> And like released the... and released as a double EP in the UK on December eighth. Uh, you, you did a mirror trick. You, you said seventy six. You, you put it through. Uh, I see what you did there. Well, Trippy man. I'm I'm <laughs> drunk. Uh, <laughs> and produced by some guy named George Martin. Uh, luckily, I have enough faith in humanity because this has gone six times platinum in the US, so that's a good thing. Double platinum in the UK, which only takes 600,000. UK is not that big, but goddamn, a lot of good musicians came out of there. Four times platinum in Canada. Gold in Argentina. Ar Argentina, step up your fucking game. How come this I'm, shit ain't platinum there? They probably don't have enough people to make it go platinum. They, and, it's, they, don't it's, have, they don't have enough money to buy it. It's platinum in Australia, yeah. and, and fucking ha and half of that was kangaroos bought that shit. And it, and it gets you beheaded in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. In Germany, it's only gold, but the album is a little Jewy, if you ask my opinion. Uh, <laughs> Baby, I'm a rich man. That offends me. Yeah, yeah. Oi, oi, bae. Oh, wait. Yeah, it just backs up everything they were saying. Uh, damn scorpions. Anywho, now it's time to go into our pick of the week. Oh, uh, right. I got, I got, the, I got the, the little theme song for it. All right, do the theme song. <laughs> it's time for pick of the week. The only time it's cool to say Ian before Ralph. <laughs> All right, well, my pick of the week, uh, I'm going very, you know, uh, yeah, I'm just coming off the cuff because I'm drunk. I'm going to go with the White Album, but specifically this new remastered version. Because uh, I listened to it, you know, you know, I listened to it a little bit when I got it a couple years ago, but it's like, you know, the fucking White Album, you know, I've, I've listened to it a million times. Uh, 
But man, listen to this new remastered version of it through headphones was really blowing my mind how good the sound quality was on this. And something I haven't done at all was to go into the bonus material because, I mean, you get the deluxe edition, it's like five hours. And Ralph told me he did check out the bonus material and he said it was in fucking incredible, which, why wouldn't it be? It's, it's the fucking Beatles. Their demos are better than most bands' best work. But, man, it was just interesting listening to it today and, you know, putting it into context and the evolution of the Beatles. And, you know, you look at, you know, from where they started to, you know, Rubber Soul to Revolver and then, you know, with Sgt. Pepper and this, and then where they went on the next one, you know, a double album, and, you know, in an era where, you know, that wasn't the norm. That was something else there. And for it to be that fucking good and that fucking solid. And yeah, it's got revolution number nine instead of the revolution we all want to hear. But God damn it, you know, what's one fart in the fucking tub? You know, the rest of it's fucking a masterpiece. So definitely check that out. And specifically, go out of your way. Make sure you get this new version. Because it, it, it's not like, you know, it's not like the, you know... Ozzy, you know, the Randy Rhodes albums with different people on it. You know, this is the Beatles, but it's just, man, they really went. And the clarity, I've never heard it sound this good compared to the, the CD copy that I bought in the fucking 90s. I mean, it's just night and day difference. So, Beatles White Album, that is my pick. Eduardo, what you got? Uh, well, you know, like just to plug in, listen to the Rock Over You podcast, especially that Sgt. Pepper episode. Listen to this first, you know, of course. It will, obviously, you got to, to this point, you did. <laughs> so listen to that. Also, I got a YouTube video where I talk about the Beatles. I did it a couple years ago, and I talk about the first time I took acid was also the first time I listened to the White Album. So if you want to hear that story, do that. In terms of a pick, in terms of an album, um, you know, an album I didn't really like at first, but I've gotten into recently, and I think you and Ralph saw this artist on this tour is Noel Gallagher, we mentioned Oasis earlier, the 2017 mm-hmm. album, Who Built the Moon? Yeah. This this is an album, it's it's kind of like it's a mystery tour type album, because it's both poppy and trippy at the same time. And when I first heard it, I remember I, because he kind of moved farther away from the Oasis sound, is like, I, I didn't like it at first. I was like, oh, what's this shit? But, you know, I was, I, it's one of those albums that once it clicks for you, it really clicks. Like, I just for a couple weeks was just listening to this album nonstop. And there's just something really joyful about it. And it's just like pure music. And to me, this is close. Like, yeah, you can never get like Sgt. Pepper and that, that kind of, uh, you know, Strawberry Fields and that kind of innovation again. But Noel in his own way, he, he's got, this is close. You know, it's not revolutionary, but it's innovative, it's fresh, it's like what music should be. There's some amazing songs too. Um, uh, I love Holy Mountain. I love Black and White Sunshine. That's a catchy song. There's a song on here. I think it was one of the singles called If Love Is The Law. That is like a perfect pop rock song. To me, like, that's a song that like, if some young, good-looking guy was 25 years old, hipster douchebag did this song, it'd be like a big hit, you know, on the radio. But because it's some scraggly middle-aged dude doing it, like, it, I don't know. To me, I listen to If Love Is Law, and I go, that's like, to me, that should be like a top 10 pop rock hit, you know? It's an amazing song. 
great album really cool definitely if you've listened to it once or twice and didn't really click try it's it's a rewarding album if you give it a chance yeah i i, I liked it a lot and man when when ralph came and visit and bought me the ticket you know i talked about it in the show before i was sick as a dog and i i really didn't even want to leave the house but i'm like man you know ralph's in town and he bought the ticket i'm like i gotta go and i sat there i couldn't even stand up i just sat there like all sick and shit but what a fucking show what a fucking show and i really that's when i got an appreciation you know because i i liked wonderwall I'm like yeah that's a good song but i never checked them out but my, my favorite my favorite moment was ralph's like hey see if mr x can get me the new uh no gallagher album i was like yeah okay no problem so i sent him the new liam gallagher album he goes Dumbass, this is Liam Gallagher. I'm like, you're such a fag. I'm like, there's a difference. There are a couple of fucking limeys just taken. He's like, oh, it's good. It's good. And then I sent him the other one. You know, and now I know the difference, you know, since I became more of a fan. But uh, Yeah, yeah, those last two uh, Liam Gallagher albums are great. I love them too. Oh, I, yeah, I love that. When I, when I heard that that Wall of Glass song, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, you know, really, yeah, he's really, really fucking good. Stepping up his game, you know, and I'm he's got, really he's got a new one coming out soon. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. I like the first two. I wasn't crazy about the third single so much, but I love the first two singles, especially that um, yeah. "Everything's Electric." Really catchy. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Yeah, really uh, good. Yeah. And I, I owe it all to Ralph because, man, you know who, who fucking hated Oasis was Groucho. Groucho would be like, yeah. oh fuck, yeah, I liked it the first time when it was called the Beatles. He's like, yeah. uh, he'd go off on a tirade, you know, but uh, no, that, that's some good shit, man. Good pick of the week. Cool. Yeah. I so Ralph, did we buy you enough time? I got, I got two things, actually. <laughs> but I just want to say I, I really love the song, Be Careful What You Wish For. Oh, yeah, that's a, no, yeah that, that, oh, that's a great song. Got real groove to it. Yeah. Swagger. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it's an album that I didn't get either, but I am such a fucking fanboy of this guy. That I made myself like it by listening to it nonstop, and then it finally grew because it's totally different than what he did before this. Because yeah. so long before this, very Oasis-like, awesome album too. I mean, that's another. Yeah. His, I mean, people that love Oasis are, aren't aware of those first two No Gallagher albums. You got to listen to them because it, it is a lot of it's a throwback to what's the story and shit like that. But anyway, yeah. all right, I got two picks. My first pick. My first recommendation is to stay away from Ordinary Man from Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> that's, my, that's my first recommendation. Because somebody just made me do a suck by suck, suck versus suck for that. And I had to sit through that again. Holy shit, man. It's worse now than then, and it was never good. And my second recommendation is keep it with the Beatles. Cheap Trick with All Shook Up, produced by George Martin. I oh, yeah. I believe we did an episode on that, right, Ian? I think y yes, it, we did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So fucking good. It takes, a, like Magical Mystery Tour for me, it does take a dip at the end with the last two tracks. The last track sucks, but the one before, Use Your Imagination, it's not a bad song. It's just not as good as everything. But man, you can't beat fucking that song. Um, oh, God damn it, with the long title. Can't stop it, but I'm going to try it. Oh, yeah. I love that song. Awesome song. Awesome. What a fucking song. You are, that, that has to be the most underrated Cheap Trick song ever. Oh, uh, what, what's what's uh, the real Beatles song on the that? Too? Greatest, the last, 
Greatest Lover. Yeah, lo World's Greatest Lover. Oh, Greatest Lover. Yeah, yeah, I love that song too. Yeah, yeah. but Stop This Game just got back rocked. Yeah. Um, Baby Loves to Rock, High Priest of Rhythmic Noise. See, that's different shit. You know, that's them doing, you know, what John Lennon would do. That's a real weird fucking song, but it's catchy and awesome. It's kind of like their I Am the Walrus. Um, yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's got Huda King, which is a revolution number nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that shit's fucking garbage. Uh, Love Comes Tumbling Down, a song about that I didn't really know. I knew, always knew it was about Bon Scott, but I never got the connection where they say in the song, uh, Johnny be good, but it didn't. Uh, but it sounds so great. It wasn't perfect, but it sounds so great. Where the, the one of the last recordings of Bon Scott was him on stage with Cheap Trick with Angus Young doing Johnny be good. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can hear it on. It's it's a professional recording. You can hear it on YouTube. It was okay. never released. It was released. Uh, Bunny Carlos used to release these things called Bunny uh, Basement Bootlegs or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was one. It, it was on there. It, it, that's one he put on there. So you can hear it on YouTube. It's it's amazing. Bon Scott and Robin Zander duetting when Johnny B. Good. It fucking rules. And uh, what's the next one? I hate you. I love you, honey. Which is not as strong as everything under it, but it does have that stone fucking vibe to it. And you can use your imagination. It's okay. And yeah, Hooter King sucks. But that's my recommendation, man. All shook up from Cheap Trick. I think, you know, take away those last few songs. It's a fucking masterpiece. Right on. Well, now it's time to go into Fan of the Week. And our Fan of the Week, hold on, Robert Evans, cover your ears, is Edwin <laughs> Canastracci. Uh, Edwin, you've been around here for a long, long time. Uh, you were instrumental in helping getting us back together for Christ's sake. And, uh, cause I, I, I think you extended the olive branch that got us back together and I talked to you about it and, yeah. uh, Bullshit. You know, and, just did it for ratings. We hate each other. <laughs> oh, that, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. We still don't like each other. Um, still, yeah. But, one, uh, of the, one of the high points in my life actually getting you guys back together <laughs> seriously it's like getting your favorite band back together you know not a lot of people exactly hey hey don't feel bad about your marriage yeah. you, you got the rock and metal combat podcast back together that's more important god damn believe me it's the, it's it's one of the things that's been helping me over this past <laughs> really for real you know it's a real but, family man. that's the thing seriously you yep. guys have gotten me through so much shit you know like you didn't even realize the kind of shit you were getting me through first the fucking pandemic then a fucking divorce you know it's the brotherhood you guys you're both wonderful human beings and that's the thing too and not to you know not to sound you know like i'm paul in humping a little mini ufo or something here but you guys are good guys anyone comes after you guys and think you guys are egotistical or like blowhards or whatever they don't fucking know you guys you guys are the real deal you're good friends i consider you very good friends even though i have never been in a room with you guys yet but i will one day and yeah you that, guys that's are not real. our fault yeah well yeah. You're, you're supposed to come to rock and pod well <laughs> so i was trying to save my marriage right i failed all right, I but you know what? But you know what? The effort is what's important. It would be it would be worse if I didn't try the best I could. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. Now I can go to Rock and Pod knowing, hey, I fucking tried. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> you know? That, 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 that be a lesson. Wives come and go, but podcasts are forever. 
Yeah, yeah. But, but it's a blessing that he didn't go to Rock and Pop because in divorce court, they would hold, uh, you know, him fucking like nor, nor, uh, those uh, uh, Ma- uh, Nashville hookers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, Edwin, it is true. I mean, it, me, and, uh, me and Ian coming back, it's kind of bittersweet because, you know, it's cool that the show's back and everything, but you know, I didn't tell this to Ian, but I guess I'll have to announce it now. Ian, um, last time we fucked, I, I have full-blown AIDS. I'm sorry. Hey, and thanks, Eddie. You just killed the. You just. I would have just died, but because of you. <laughs> oh man. You mean I've been eating these goddamn Weight Watchers for nothing? It's the <laughs> fucking hair. It's the AIDS. Oh my god. Oh well. Either way, I'm getting thinner. So you, fuck you it. Get to your ideal weight. AIDS is great for the physique. I, I I know. Hey, fuck it. If uh, you know, magic can last this long. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, Edward, not only that, it, you know, you started a fan page, the the RMCP Army. Yeah. You know, Nick Watkins. Nick Watkins. Yeah, me and him created that fan page, and yeah, we like to say you guys have an army, the RMCP Army. You know. So who wouldn't? If you're on the Rock and Metal Combat page and you're not a fucking snitch. Join the RMCP Army on Facebook because yeah. it's more the brotherhood. Oh yeah, yeah we, we, uh, this reminds me. I, I got another <laughs> another uh, plug for the show. Check out Eddie Eddie's uh, YouTube page. Very entertaining. His uh, ranking of albums and stuff. And I did bring yes. this up earlier to you, Ian. I think on an episode that Eddie woke me up that jimmy page is the greatest fucking i don't know if that eddie said he was the greatest it, but he was praising his producer production. yeah when you were praising jimmy page's production it, it, it like woke me up going dude what the fuck sounds better than physical graffiti or or houses of holy and chill and, and you listen to that production today it doesn't sound dated at all which makes jimmy page the greatest fucking producer ever and i also got to give a shout out to dick twatkins uh youtube uh uh, channel too, because that one was very entertaining when he's like screaming and touching his nip- nipples, saying it's a deflating <laughs> episode, you know. And, and he, he's so wacky and entertaining. And you both are very different and very different than me. We're all very different, but yeah. we, all three of us have YouTube channels that fucking own. Now, if only yeah. Gian had a fucking upload videos. Yeah, Ian, why yeah, don't you no. why don't you do videos, Ian? He doesn't know how to upload. That's the point. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have the, the, the patience and the, the dedication to do it. I mean, I, I, I wish I did, but you know what? There, there's so much other cool shit out here. Just enjoy my racist rants here, you know? <laughs> but yeah, your, your YouTube page is awesome. So is Mix, you know? And, and I know you're, you're in the beginning stages of your podcast, but... You know, where we failed with spawning a bunch of different podcasts, at least the YouTube pages we've inspired have kicked fucking major ass. Yeah. So, you know, but... but I'm sorry. Another guy I want to plug to is Metal Ben. Metal Ben's Chronicles. I believe he is part of the Rock and Metal Combat. He is part of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Uh, yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's on all the Facebook pages. Yeah, he's, he's part a, of the army. guy, and he's a very metal dude, and I yeah. dig him, too. He, there's no... You know, it's it's just like, you know, I know my metal people because, you know, I've been in the scene for 40 plus years. He's though, he's that type of guy I see at shows that like, you know, he's fucking real. There's no pretense. He's a metal dude. 
Yes. He's the most metal person, I think, in the RMCP army, actually. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean Uncle Ben? Yeah. Yeah, Uncle Ben, no. the black dude. No, no. no. Oh. I, I see what you did there, though. Tony oh. Soprano would pass out. <laughs> Ain't your mama on a pancake box? But that's the thing, you gotta jump in, people. I don't know, because this thing, you guys got thousands of fans all around the world, but it seems like there's the core RMCP army. There's the core RMCP army, it's like about 100, 200 people. And then there's the thousands of casuals. So, I don't know, if you're a casual out there, stop being a casual, get involved. It's a fucking RMCP army, you know? That's yeah. my job so as the RMCP army, you know, moderator and, you know, running that page. Get, join it up. So, so let them know again, once again, what's, what's the name of your YouTube page? It's just my, Eddie Canistracci, my name. Ed, Eddie Canistracci, and the podcast is? Rock All Over You Podcast. Rock All Over You. You can get that shit on uh, iTunes and... Yeah, well, I, you, it, ideally you could get on iTunes. We've been having problems recently. We were doing fine at first, but right now you could definitely get on Spotify or just directly, you know, from Podbean. You can, you know, get it there. So, and we link up to all that shit. So it's all, it's, you know, yeah. so, and it's cool shit. If you like this shit, you, you probably like that shit too. That's what I'm Yeah, so all you, all you Neil Young fans, don't give up on Spotify. Keep it so you can check out Eduardo's podcast. Yeah, that's the and best I reason to have Spotify in my opinion. <laughs> And I got also, I have very exciting news, Ian. Uh, this is then. This is incredible. We are the number one podcast now in the dark web. Ooh, nice. sexy! Hell yeah! Sexy. Nice, sexy. Nice. You can find nice. it right next to the kitty porn uh, link. That that Gene Simmons what? is downloading. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I I I knew we'd be a big hit on the dark web because I speak to the black audience. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, amen, brother. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Eduardo, for coming on here. And I wish you nothing but success, be it your your YouTube page, uh, you know, your, your podcast. And also, uh, are we allowed to talk about your your day job at all? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm a screenwriter. I mean, most of the people know I, I, I still to this day do not have a screen credit. But I've actually spent the past 12 years selling scripts and working in the industry. I work in the film industry and I've made a living of it. And, you know, I have a, yeah. few, th I have a few projects, a few things in development, a few people, you know, a few pro of the projects are Googleable, a few aren't behind the scenes. So I got a few things going. We'll see. I'm hoping to have a, a really good year. Uh, in the meantime, I do write, you know, I write things on Final Draft and I, I write things about screenwriting and the art of screenwriting. So, yeah, it's, that is my day job. So it's not it's not bad as far as day jobs go, writing hypothetical movies. So and they're really cool yeah, hypothetical yeah. movies. I think people would dig them if they got made. Yeah, I, you know, and, and can I pitch you an idea? <laughs> I think it will be a great movie, actually, if you really think about it. Uh, you uh, base it on Terrence. Uh, a keyboard warrior, but in the end, like do a little twist where everybody that he attacks online meets him, and Sean Morrison just kicks his ass brutally. That would be an awesome movie, right, Ian? Well, I would say yeah, but they already made a movie about a shut-in Nazi called The App Pupil. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but can you imagine hey, like, the very last scene <laughs> is Sean Morrison kicking his ass and looking at the camera, going, 
Shame, shame, shame. shame have the shame, credits shame. roll. That would be an awful hey. movie. Hey, Hollywood loves remakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you like this episode, come back next week when we still have another fan review right here on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast.